Can't go wrong with black. Can't go wrong with black. It's a it's a staple. I agree. Black, blue, gray. I have noticed that most, <laughs> most of my wardrobe is black. Black, and gray. black. That's that's me. and tans. Blue jeans so not, uh, makes my legs like, look too big. Black. You jeans. know I, you know I'm in the peril bin. I'm like everybody's always wants to try all these. I'm like guys. This is an eighty percent male event. You won't sell a single color. Yeah. You can do all. You can try all of it. If it's not earth tone, they ain't buying it. <laughs> although, I do, although I do dig the blue. I could be digging the blue shirts we got. You could pull off the blue. Yeah, I, I, you I, I, I probably ain't wearing the blue. No, no, no. <laughs> that's too. Bad. Yeah, that's too. Uh, Did you know that was blue? Though? Mule deer. That's too. Mule deer. That screams mule deer hunter too much for me. What color does that look like to you? Blue. I mean, like when, like when a, you when you looked at it, you're color, like you're colorblind, right? Yeah. A baby blue. It's like a, like a, like a robin blue. egg blue. Like a Carolina blue. That's I always a, forget you're that blue. colorblind. Yeah, I'm colorblind, guys. That's that's why I shoot big guns. So I track animals. <laughs> you try to compensate for your clothing. Yeah, because if I have to track an animal, a big gun with a blue shirt. <laughs> yeah, how do you I, how do you pick an outfit of the day? I've always wondered. Do you like? Do you know what colors your different t-shirts no, I, are? And you like lay them out with a with a, with I, a pair of shorts. To be, full, to be fully honest, I have held them against a white wall before. That's the only way I can kind of tell. Like if it's near like my carpet or like my bed, how I, you know, colored sheets or whatever. My walls are gray in my house or my bedroom. Yeah. Like, it's hard to tell. Like I have to like literally put it next to something that's a totally different color, like a white wall. Do you actually tell? Do different shades of blue look different to you? Or they look the same. They all look pretty much the that's same. That's why I say everything's blue. I don't even know what a shade of purple would look like. It's just blue. Pur- purple and blue are the same. <laughs> yeah. Navy blue, purple. Uh, yeah. Hold up that cup next to you, Cody. That's blue. That that would probably be purple. <laughs> but what about that his, is more his, of like a pink fuchsia. What about his coffee cup? Coffee cup blue. Yeah, that is blue. <laughs> Orange. <laughs> We're testing your. Yeah. Are you actually colorblind? I don't think you, you, you are. Okay. So if you, if you guys right now, you know, those little colorblind tests where you have like that circle has all those little dots everywhere. And there's like a number in there or a letter. If you give me those, I will fail every single one on that really? colorblind test. I can't remember what that colorblind test is, but I will fail every single one of those. Crazy. I swear back in the day. Uh, yeah. I'd. Like I never really knew what colors are. I still don't know what colors are. I can't ever remember getting a colorblind test. I don't know. I've ne- I've never even heard of such. I, I vaguely yeah, remember. You have. You I don't think what, I have. Yeah. What's the image? What's the? Can you see the image? And it's got like a star or no. something. Right? <laughs> I don't remember like that. I'll, I'll fail all of them. I'm, they give that to you in elementary school. It's yeah. Like that's a check, I, like a it's checkup. Still, it's still one of those things where that's I've, why I remember it. I've watched so many of those videos where they, people give those like other you know girl guy. Those glasses that you can see colors and they start bawling. Like, I really wonder what that's like. I honestly do. I honestly do. I can see, everyone's like, oh, can you see stop signs? Like, yeah, I can see red, yellow, and green. Like, I can see that because they're different at the top. But you put stuff right next to each other, I'm I'm screwed. Like, blood and green grass? No, sir. Blood and snow? Yeah, I can see that. So, Christmas for you is just a blur. Oh, it's it's a mind. It's not uh, good having red and green. So it's got to have a strong contrast. Yeah, it's got a strong contrast. Yeah, like I, I could tell, you know, red if it was just red by itself. Yeah, but next to things, uh, yeah, that's so, just somebody because somebody told you it was red, right? Like you have to clarify like how red is that? Yeah, what shade is red? Actually, not blue. It's blue. It's very, it's, it's very, very blue. blue. Okay. It's the bluest. Yeah, it's blue. It's blue. It's <laughs> royal blue. Same royal blue. This is what I always say to people too. If you ever see really bad edited photos from me. It's because I'm colorblind. I don't know what the f- 
breaking colors. Are. I can't say I've ever seen you really yeah. bad at yeah, photos. Yeah, I can't say that either. Okay, well, so I, I like your photo caveat. style. You, t- you tend to do okay in the old photos. Uh, I have wondered, though, about your outfit. So I was like, I wonder if Brady wonder gets if up in the knew. morning. <laughs> there's, there's been some times where I'm like, I wonder if he knows what color shirt that is no. or those shorts. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but then uh, I kind of like it. It's kind of endearing, you know? I think, yeah, it's yeah, my, my style. You know? what, what if, you know, mismatched yeah, clothes is, is better? Yeah. Yeah, you can wear whatever you want. Yeah, whatever I want. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, now we got that out of the way. We, yeah. we, we figured you were in a very blue shirt. I'm in a very blue shirt. We, we, have, a, we have a special guest in the, in the office today. Yes. We got Mark Livese. Yeah. Did I say your last name right? That's pretty good. Is it? Livese. 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 How do you spell it? Most people say Livesay. Livesay. It's L-I-V-E. Okay. Like live S A Y. Right. Live say. Yeah. That's my last name's Kreitzer. So people butcher people that, just all, butcher of, that yeah, all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, it's very rare that somebody gets my last name right. We, we appreciate you popping <laughs> Those in. Damn Germans, man. Yeah. Damn German names. Yeah. It's funny. People call me, they'll call me Chrysler. <laughs> Chrysler. Chrysler. Yeah. That one's pretty common. Chrysler. Hmm. I think that's just like the Southern Utah draw, adding an L in there. Chrysler. Yeah, that's a Utah thing for <laughs> sure. <laughs> but yeah, we're happy to have you in the office yeah. today, though. Thanks for making the trip. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Yep. You guys always make me fly in like the late, super late. Yeah. Red eye flights, oh. but that's okay. We, we try to like make you land with cooler weather. Yeah. Like you landed maybe 105 instead of 117. I landed at the airport, walked through the little tunnel. I'm like, at midnight, I'm like, what in the hell is this? So it's yeah, hot. This, this ain't Montana. This ain't Montana. As they say, no. it's the dry heat. Yeah, yeah so it's, it's okay. It's a dry heat. Yeah, it's totally it's okay. okay. I think we fly people late into Vegas just to eliminate the, the potential for trouble. You know, you fly, <laughs> well, you fly into Vegas. So let's say you land at six. You've got, you know, four hours there yeah, where you can get yourself into some trouble. A lot of trouble. And, and, and then, then that turns the into, day. you know, three, four a.m. at yeah. that point. But if or you land three, at, four days. <laughs> yeah. In my younger it. days, I spent some time in Vegas and... My wife likes to limit my ground time in Vegas. <laughs> so she was excited about this trip. Fly in, fly out. I don't have a lot of time to yeah. get in trouble. Yeah. You, you do some gambling? Uh, no. No. Not much of a gambler. No. no. Not even not even some blackjack or some no. slots? Nothing? Nothing. I heard he might be spending some money though while he's down here. No, my gambling probably back at the go on shop. Yeah, he was looking he was talk, <laughs> asking about some of those some SIG binos. Man, the SIG, the new SIG twelves. Mm-hmm. I'm moving the, to, I I'm the moving 10s to six. and the 16s, but the 12s were that super steady and the better glass. Uh, the better glass got a chance to try them out at the Western Hunting Summit. Brian Barney had a pair on site first time I'd seen them, and uh, I'm a I'm a big fan of those things anyway. You're talking and, the image stabilization ones, yes, yes, yeah. yes. And, and the new ones have. Move. A super stabilization mode. So you have the normal stabilization mode. You flip the switch on, and within two seconds, you flip it off and back on again, and it's super stable. So how, even long, more, how long does it stay on? Like what do you, you, you say? It's like about eight minutes. Yeah, yeah it's longer. Eight. Oh, it's eight longer minutes. Now. Yeah, that's a long time. Yeah. yeah. So you know, you'll be glassing with those things, and then they'll start. You know, just flip, flip, and you're good. Sometimes it's a pain, but the battery lasts forever, forever. because of that. Because I never forget. I forget to turn mine off. And I, you All throw the it time, back in your yeah. mind, okay, you know. Mm-hmm. So the tens take the little lithium battery, C25 or whatever yep. it is, C2, whatever yep. that is. CR2s. And then the 16s take like the double A battery. But literally we, um, you know, bear hunting is super glass intensive, right? Mm-hmm. And if I, if I put a fresh battery in, 10 days is not uncommon for that battery. Morning, noon, night glassing. Really? So very economical. There's no... I mean, I know people aren't going to like to hear this, but 
There's no glass on planet Earth that is better than those binoculars. I'm glad you said that. Not not the glass. Come on now. No, <laughs> no, no, no. I have two pairs of squirrels <laughs> yeah. that have not come off my shelf one time since the day I bought those Zulus. I, I know guys who are selling their squirrels. To go you to guys, I'm moving to it this year. I'm, that's what I'm I, moving to this year. I can't buy it. Right? I, can I don't believe, I don't believe it. you. Do you, you can really believe it. Either one of you. You take your squirrels on a tripod. I take mine. Sure. That's my 16th. I will glass up more animals than you. Guaranteed. In the course of the day. That's because I'm blind in one eye. <laughs> <laughs> but well, that's, and, and you know what? That's even more important <laughs> that you go to. Yeah. So here's the thing on those stabilizations. So like, here's a classic example. We were at, I think you were, were you at the Crazies Western Hunting Summit? Yep, I was at the one. So we hike up that ridge, right? It's blowing like 45 miles an hour. Wind is blowing. And this moose walks out. And we can see him with the naked eye. And everybody's trying to look at him. We thought it was a bear at first, just this black blob way over there, right? Everybody's looking and dropping down, putting their swirls on the log. I mean, the wind, is, I'm just staring up there with 16s like this. Yeah, it's a moose. It's a, it's a yeah. cow moose. How are you glassing in that wind trail? You ain't. Nobody off a, off a tripod. can pick it yeah, up. Yeah, but it's not going to be pleasant. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Long distance glassing with shaking. I'm, I'm curious. So from a glass perspective, I'm talking clarity. Clarity. Edge, edge clarity, brightness. No. You're saying, I mean, clarity no. means nothing. But you get all the other added benefits to it, so those added benefits are going to make you better. Like, do you really need the clearest glass all the time? I kind of like it. Probably not. <laughs> I kind of like it. See, I, I used to think that. I mean, I was a binocular kind of snob, right? Yeah. Maybe not Brady's level with the big mm-hmm. BTX stuff. Never went quite that far, just because I didn't want to carry around sure. my house. Um, but the day I put those up to my eyes, I was like, "This is whole different," and they're so gimmicky. Mm-hmm. Like you would, they look you would silly. look at them. Yeah, they like, look There's silly. no way. They look like an old coral prism. And you're like, well, they mm-hmm. back then they were five hundred dollars. Yeah, yeah. dirt cheap. And I'm like, they, there can't be anything to these. I, I will say though, compared to because I've had the old ones and I got the new ones. I was able to test out the new ones this year. I you know shot my Audad Bear, everything else I hunted this year. The new glass is better than the old glass. Yes, so you mean the twelves. Yeah. So even though the whole oh, and the oh, whole line, the whole line, you're yep. exactly right. So, so if you had the old ones, you're like, yeah, the glass quality isn't that. This, you know, it w- wasn't the greatest, but now mm-hmm. the, the new ones are actually a lot better improvement. They're, honestly, I'll say they're, they're not Swaro quality, like the actual glass, but the features. Oh, well, glassy yeah. trail. No, I, I hear you. I, I, I get the argument. I just have a we hard could, time with it. We could even have two totally different people, like two very just off the block people, and they will have one Swaro and one with those. They'll find, you'll be able to pick yeah. up more details because you can see everything flying around. You can see a little ear twitch. You can see a tail moving, like... The you movement, can see, the picking up on the movement. When, when you're hiking up a ridge and you're you're breathing really hard, I can flip that switch and I'm on a tripod standing there and see that animal jump over the ridge before it does it. That, where it might that, be hard to see. That's the scenario I can see. So you're, you're glassing offhand. You know, you're hiking. You, it's like you're saying the wind's blowing and you see a moose or a bear across the ridge and you just want to throw up your binos and take a look. Oh, we got nic- nicotine, man. nicotine delivery. The PEDs showed up. <laughs> wow. Wow. That's a... You say the PEDs? Two, two logs. Yeah, PEDs showed up. We got performance enhancing? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I can see it in that situation, but I mean, sitting behind a tripod, you know, with a, a pair of binos mounted, mounted and solid and, and you're just scanning, I want to have a hard time. So, think, so the reason you're doing that? I know, because I can't get steady. Window. I know. And, and I'm guaranteeing you this, because I've, t- I've done it. You can mount on any tripod you want. Yeah. You can get them as stable as you want. They're still not as stable as those, those stabilized. Interesting. And the nice, get, thing, the nice thing too, like your body can get so much more comfortable 
you're not having to lean forward right. on your tripod them. You can lean back. I can lean on my backpack and I'm just stable like a tripod. I can just like move around and make my body comfortable. If my body's comfortable, I'm gonna be glassing more. So what I do a lot is I got my trekking pole with the rubber part handle. I just got them sitting on top of it, right? Mm -hmm. like, like I would with binoculars, but those stabilized binoculars on top of a trekking pole so, are like next level. So do you not carry a tripod anymore? No tripod. First spot and scope. So that's the, okay. that's the kicker. Yeah. How many times are you out there and you've got your binos strapped on and you see something and you're like, oh, I want to get my spotting scope. You got to take your, put your spotting scope on. Mm -hmm. And I always found myself not doing it because I'm like, I didn't want to make the change. I'm like, I already got my binoculars on. So now my process is as soon as I sit down for a glassing session, I've got my tripod with my swirl spotting scope, which has got better glass. Mm -hmm. And then I'm glassing with my image stabilizers. And then I can just go back and forth. Gotcha. I can throw my phone. I can throw my all in on my scope while I'm actually looking at it through my binoculars. So you're able to get both stabilizations with only one tripod. Gotcha. Yeah, I spring, can, I can spring. see it. You know, think about some bear hunting. I know. I don't know if this is our topic today, but no, you, everything's we'll, we'll, we'll our topic today. But you're walking everything. down a ridge. You got, let's look at this long ridge, right? Every guy's got to stop and set up in glass for a while. With those 16s, I literally walk along, walk a little more, never even have to sit down. Gotcha. It is, you're going to look at more country with them because you, you won't fight the urge to like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to get up there. Then I'm going to sit down, right? I'm, then I'm going to set up. But those, you don't, you don't even think about it. You just look. Mm-hmm. We're getting real convinced. I like this. Did you get Is motion it? sickness at all from them? No, any any kind of move. Any, I know. I know when I've looked switch. when yeah. I've looked through Brady's, they kind of. I get kind you, well, of. You're, you're probably, why? You right away. You're moving probably too fast. I you're get trying to. I get kind the of the waves going. Okay, on. so I, that's concerning to me because the reason why I want to go to them is because I get motion sick. Yeah, we know you oh, oh, constantly okay. moving in my other binos. Oh, you're gonna love I, these. I get very. I, I have this thing, Munier's disease. So, anyways, I have this inner ear malfunction thing, and it makes me any type of like motion sickness for me is super amplified so if i look through binos for too long i get crazy motion sick oh, especially because i shake those are made too. for you and that's what i want but if he's saying he gets motion now, sick I, because I of them trill faints all the time no <laughs> anything he says he's like one of those faint no goats. i don't know what i am think. a fainting goat he's a that's exactly goat. it we talk about that a he's lot a you spooky me. yeah yeah that's i mean defense mechanism increasingly so yeah i i faint i faint quick yeah i'll faint yeah i get a real sharp pain of some kind fall hit a rock anything like that you are a fainting goat yeah i i faint yeah, I don't know what the deal That's is with the, that. The funniest story ever. I, I we've relived it a million times, but I'm going to do it again. Of course, you every time we film hunts, you try and get as much on film as you possibly can. But of course, the one thing that would go like ultra viral for Go Hunt, and we'd be world famous. We didn't get on film. He popped a, a blind open. You know those those uh, pop up tension blinds that they just pop right oh, open. Yeah. Snapped him right in the nuts, and he went down. Yeah. If we had that on film, we'd, be, we'd all be famous. Yeah, yeah, I stood up inside that blind, and I was kind of giggling, laughing at myself. And I had the camera guy, who's a big guy. He's probably 6'4", you know, 220, I would guess. And I was kind of giggling. Shout and, out Logan. Yeah, shout out Logan Summers. Yeah, I was kind of giggling, and I said, I, I think I might pass out. And he was like, oh, whatever, dude. And I was like, no, for real. So I just threw my arms around his neck. And went out. <laughs> and that's the last thing I remember. Yeah. <laughs> 
came to, but yeah, that's, that's kind of, I actually, yeah, I was in Oregon and fell on a beach, same thing, took a rock to my back and just passed out. And ever since then, like I get a real sharp pain, I'm out. So, so <laughs> next, time hunt, next time I hunt a trail, here's my thing. We're both hunting. We both see a big giant animal. Just, both kick, him in the shed. just kick him, kick him somewhere. So he faints and boom, right in the balls. I'm out. It's good to know. You know next time. I... Yeah. But I, I do. I noticed when I was using Brady's, I got kind of, I got the, the swims a little bit. I got Man, a little bit motion. We'll, we'll show you again. Yeah, like, but like, can you imagine though? Like, I've never spring bear hunted in Alaska, hunting off a boat. Oh, Always yeah. going up and down and doing that. Oh. Antelope hunting, you're driving down a road. You want to be able to judge that antelope while you're getting out of sight, so you can go put a stock on it. Click Have you ever switch. glassed out of your car while it's driving? Mm. With a pair of binoculars, you ever tried it? Yeah, probably. I'm, sure tried I'm work, immediately right? laid out, vertigo, can't you do it. Totally, I would never do those that. 16s, we drive. I'm looking through while you're driving. Yeah. Oh god. The one thing that you said that's kind of winning me over is just. You know, if you're out hiking, you're hiking a drainage, there's a lot of times when you may not just pull out your binos and glass just because you're not as steady, right? You, you save those for your long glassing sessions. Yeah. But if you do have the ability to hit a little button and you're a lot more steady and you're glassing the entire way on, you know, into your glassing point, mm -hmm. you might pick up something that you might not otherwise. So that one's kind of, <laughs> that one I can kind of see. Where I can really see it is is dark timber elk hunts in yeah. the rut. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Just picking them up real quick, not having to worry about it, looking 100, 120 yards through the trees. Yeah. You don't want to take that movement up. That's what I or really think of. And the weight. Yeah, they're light. So I, so I carry my 16s and my 10s, and both pairs together are lighter than my 12s, my Vortex 12 by 12 by 52s. Gotcha. Considerably lighter, both pairs. I'm so gonna, I, I, carry, I carry my 16s in my pack. Mm -hmm. Got my tens in my harness, and then if I'm in long country, I'll switch them out, pull my sixteens out, throw my tens back in there. I'm carrying the same weight as a regular pair of binoculars, mm -hmm. and those tens—they're almost like, they're almost like kid binoculars. They're almost like, I, when I first got them, I'm like, these are gimmicky. These are, there's yeah. no way these are legit. They're like a like a football stadium type binocular, right? They mm -hmm. do look funny. Yeah, but oh man, they're so they're so. They're game changing for for me, and um, I leave in less than two weeks for my first time to try them. So I'll yeah. I'll see are you, if you guys them? are lying. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Switch full switch. I think I'm gonna wait for the the Swaro Pure image stabilizations, and then I'll buy those. Them. Are you know <laughs> you know they're coming? They gotta yeah. be right. Yeah. I would think. I don't know, but it, it, it is interesting. I don't know how any of these companies can stay away from it much longer. I mean, yeah, it's been proven. I mean, it's six kind of the only really one that's doing. Yeah. Uh, there's a couple of other like bird washing type. Yeah, ones, what I I remember it it has been around for a long time because I remember like back in the day those mm -hmm. ultra high end mule deer guys like the freaks about the <laughs> desert and all that stuff they would fly their parrot planes and they would have the gyroscope mm -hmm. binoculars. Yeah, yeah, those, yeah it's been cannons. around. They, the I remember this back when ice. I was back when I was a kid. Like you'd hear about the guys flying the strip their paraplanes and then have the gyroscopes yeah. this is 15 years ago 20 years ago you know what i mean yeah so it's they like spinning in the plane right yeah. yeah so they could just be in their plane flying and they'd be able to lock on and, and look at a deer and that's when i first remember hearing about those i'm like man that sounds pretty cool well, well now it's like in the handhelds yeah. i mean it's, it's only a matter of time before it's everywhere i think and I, i've tried my best not to talk about them that much but, i know but, but, but you like, know what I always morally, I owe it to myself to explain everything. I try to, except when it comes to like mapping and where I'm actually. We're here for the people, Brady. We're here for the people. You find the people. Well, you know, like I'm to talk about, about. I'm opening up more some of my strategies and some of the optics I use because I definitely Well, learn. that is funny. Like when I built this e-scouting course, I was the same way. I, 
I really was torn, you know, like, do I really want to make it worse for me out there mm-hmm. than it already is? Yeah. But, you know, once I got older, once I got in my, you know, started getting 50, I'm like, I love this sport so much that, man, I wish there would have been some of this stuff available for me. Yeah. And, you know, what it really came down to me was I'd rather share the mountains with guys that are a little more knowledgeable than guys that have no idea how the wind works, no idea how thermals works, no idea, you know, those kinds of things. Yeah, because that's going to impede your hunt. If you're hunting with other people who don't know about those exactly. things. Exactly. And it's, it's just... And, now that I've been doing it for three years, the testimonies I'm getting, the pictures I'm getting, the just long letters of thanks, it's its pretty rewarding. And uh, I've enjoyed this journey. And uh, so um, I'm kind of an open book. I mean, whatever I, I mean, what little I know, I'm willing to share that I wasn't used to. Mm-hmm. I used to be like Lampers, of course, not telling by nothing, anything ever. He would just take and never give. <laughs> Lampers was a one-way street. Yeah, it was like all this information would come in, but nothing would go God. out. <laughs> and um, but even he, now that he's got the summits, and um, we're doing we're doing courses together. I mean, we've just gotten a more, I guess, giving. We're we enjoy it. I mean, yeah. I enjoy it. I get a lot out of it. Do you do you feel like since? And we'll dive a little deeper here for the whole reason that you're here, but I'm curious as to, you know, as, as time's gone past, I would say specifically like in the last five years or so, there's gotten to be a lot more education into this type of stuff, e-scouting, how to look at a landscape, what you should be looking for. I mean, I think about the amount of content that we do and you guys do. Um, do you feel like there's that many more people out in your spots that wouldn't have been prior? Not really. Not really? You guys, you can teach people, teach people, teach people, but they still got to hike the five miles. Mm-hmm. They still got to climb the mountains. They still got to get in shape. They still got to buy the tags. They still yeah. got to, you know, I mean, I don't know if you guys, this society has gotten so weak. We've got, we've had things so good for so long that the hunting population, I, I just don't, now backcountry hunting is a little more sexier than it used to be, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll admit. Yeah. 100%. But like states like Missouri and Pennsylvania, you're starting to see massive declines in some of these, some of these hunting. The kids aren't interested anymore, you know, and it's not being passed on like it used to be passed on. Now the West is pretty sexy, right? For backcountry, I do mm-hmm. agree. There's definitely there's definitely a surge, but I don't I don't know that I see any more than I used to, mm. um, really. And honestly, I like it. I like the challenge of it. I mean, mm-hmm. we were just talking. I was sharing some hunting spots earlier, and uh, I don't go to the same hunting spots. I just don't. And my friends get a little ticked off about it sometimes. They're like, man, that spot last year was incredible. I'm like, oh, that's off. The, that's off already table. been checked off the list, boys. And I'm a new spot guy. So if, I'm, if I've gotten good at e-scouting, it's because I'm constantly developing new places. Mm-hmm. I, I mean... I was just telling him, I think less than three or four times in my entire 34 years of big game hunting, I've gone back to the same spot. And my list of where I want to go, I I'm, I can't live that. I'm going to, my list is bigger than my life. Mm-hmm. And uh, so maybe my son will pick it up where I, you know, I drop off. But yeah, I'm a new, I'm a new, I'm an adventurer, man. I yeah. love, there's nothing I like better than rolling into a trailhead in the dark, hiking in in the dark with my lump to a place I've never been 
and killing a bull that day. I mean, it's just like yeah. That to me, that's the ultimate reward. To yeah. me, that's when you have when you have come into your own. I think that's when you can do that every now and then. You can't do it here all the time, but but when it does happen, it's pretty special. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I totally agree. I'm a new. I'm driven by that new adventure. As I well. love. I, it. I do go back to older spots just because you know you know they produce, and when you're taking other people hunting, you want to go to a place that produce. You know for sure produces. But man, that, I love the new. Like walking into a new place, drawing a new tag you've never been. I love that. Now, bear hunting, we typically do want to. We do try to go back some of the states because we're targeting. Oh. I mean, we got these bears hey, named. Hey, you bear. know, yeah. We got like Red Lightning and Chocolate 2.0 and dark thunder i mean all these bears that we kind of try to go after yep. so that's kind of fun mm-hmm. to go back and get these mature bears that we didn't get the year before but when it comes to elk and deer and maybe i'll change now with my son because my son's 13 now and he's just starting to get really interested in and doing it on a high level you, i mean you, his shooting skills you should are talk about your shooting skills real quick when we were at the summit the boy can shoot like what was I mean, that was that 800 yards you were shooting or 700 868 yeah and, and Lily- he shot a gun he's never shot. Yeah. And he shot seven times at a 10 inch plate at 868. He hit six out of seven times. Hmm. Wow. It's remarkable. It's laying down smacking mile an hour wind. <laughs> smacking him in the evening. We were watching on the spikes. That bullet would curve out in the wind and drop out, of, like literally from outer space. And bam, right into that play. I'm like, Dang. you did. You did notice though what kept happening. People were starting to make fun of your shooting skills. Like, he yeah. definitely didn't learn it from you. You notice I wasn't laying down <laughs> shooting. <laughs> so. Uh. You know, it's like the hiking too. Yeah. So we're hiking and he's with me. We're walking for a while and Dan, I really, I really like hiking with you, but you think I could try to catch Barney and Sam? Yeah. Dude, go after and he just <laughs> left me. Yeah. And I, I kind of thought, you know, I'm not gonna let him just dust me. I'm gonna I'm gonna crank it up a little. After about five minutes, I was like yeah, this ain't going to work out. <laughs> yeah. And that boy just rolled off into the sunset, and he catches Sam, catches catches him, and then he tries to search past him. And the story, I well, obviously, I wasn't there. And then Sam surged, Sam Davis, and then all of a sudden they're practically running. <laughs> and they get back to the house, and Eli's face is just red. He's sweating, and Brian comes up to me and goes, man, your son. <laughs> he goes... That boy likes to just turn it up. He goes, but we weren't going to let him beat us. And um, so it's it's cool to see him, these kids develop yeah. like that, right? Yeah. Because, you know, that's why I've talked about this a lot. But when your son goes out with you, he's used to you, right? They'll, they'll complain more. They'll, mm-hmm. But when they're with another man where there's a the respect, he rises to a new level. Just like with that shooting, he got to lay down with Brady and Olin and some of those other guys, next level guys, and he was just in his zone in that, right? If it had been me, I don't know that he would have been that. He'd yeah. been more passive. Yeah, 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 been more passive, exactly. That's a good word. The thing yeah. that amazed me, though, about him is he was so calm. Like, there's Pressure. a lot of, there's oh, a lot of people watching. There was a ton of people watching. He would just, he would shoot. He wouldn't even get excited. He'd be like, all right, just loads another one in. Like, no, there's no smile even. He was like, <laughs> I just hit that, and I know I did, and I'm going to hit it again. Like, like, he had confidence, but, like, he was willing to learn, too. Like, you're giving him tips, and he was just soaking it up, not trying to develop bad habits. He was soaking up everything to make a better shot. His really trigger cool pull is just, he's, I wish he could do it in archery. He's terrible on the ball. <laughs> he's a trigger puncher, fool with the bow, but that gun, he can move that trigger, like, so 
Ooh. He's that new Stanislavski. And, uh, so. yeah. Hey, he's like, anyway, Bra- he's he like Brady. Like, all about the gun, yeah, the gun trigger. I didn't tell you, Brady, but he was so upset. Like, once he started shooting, because he was kind of the first guy. Mm-hmm. Olin took him, and then everybody started coming around. They started hearing the steel. Because what was happening, we were all in the tent, right? You'd hear the boom. Ding. You're like, mm-hmm. well, that was a shot. Mm-hmm. So everybody started coming around because of the delay, right? So by that point, there's a few people, and then here comes Brady. Let's shoot a mile. <laughs> and uh, I just want to stretch it out. <laughs> let's, I mean, screw this 868. Let's, let's start shooting a mile. So they found some rocks. He wanted to do that mile so bad. But by that point, all these dudes were laying yeah, around. He, he literally could have used, oh, he he used my I gun. I almost said something, but my gun was he, dialed. he, he just... wanted to do it so bad, but he didn't get a chance. Oh, I'm bad How'd now. How did you shoot in front of the crowd? Oh, he rang it at a mile. Oh, like, it, took me, within... it took me three shots to hit a mile. But both, all my three shots were like you would have killed an animal. That's the Brady I know. And the last shot it was, was like literally three inches, like, like like that. That's the Brady I know. And the, the problem was I missed the first two. I, w- I was ch- changing my dope earlier because everything my dope seemed to be different when I was shooting at uh, what was I shooting at or fourteen hundred yards earlier. And I had to change something, and I don't know why I changed it. I think because you're a tinker. That's yeah. What you do. And then I went back to shooting. Like I, w- I went back to my dope after I yeah the dope I should have been using earlier, and then it yeah. just hit right away. Yeah. So it's like you and trailer tinkers. I yeah. am not. I, yeah. don't, I don't. I don't. know if it's a condition or what. Uh, but don't even think about it. Yeah. Well, now I've got to become better. I got to get my reloading. I got to get all my game because my butt, my boy's ready to ready start to go. shooting. Take, take, taking a kid to a summit is uh, an expensive endeavor because now he has. Oh, dude. Now he's got the now he, wants, now he wants that. He wants a custom gun. He wants blue <laughs> barrels. He wants. Like, uh, <laughs> that's good. It's a good thing to have, though. It's, it is. I mean, the alternative. And you know what? You could have a lot worse habits. Huh? Yeah. I'll mm. buy. Well. I'll make all the sacrifices that need to be made if he keeps wanting to pursue that yep. that yeah. angle. When he starts coming to me and telling me he wants the latest Xbox and then that's it. Yeah, when they find a use, uh, yeah, that stuff does not float my boat. Right? Yeah, when I'm they like, find an endeavor that they're really passionate about and it's it's good for him, just generally, you just gotta support it. When yeah. he starts coming, and says, I want the six, I want the new six point five PRC. I want this. I want like, Okay. All right. What if he comes up to you and says, "Hey, Dad, I want a 70-inch TV and the fastest computer possible because I want to do e-scouting every single day." Well, now that would be good. (laughs) What if he he wants to sit there and just e-scout on a giant screen? But if he says, "I want to hook my Xbox," you know, it's funny. He doesn't even. He has an Xbox, and we and he's his mom is very tight on the uh, screen time stuff, but he really hasn't gone so far. He's been pretty into the other things, so. But he's just, it's funny to watch. He really wasn't all that interested until about 11 years old. Something clicked then, and it was really the summits, to be honest. Took him to the first couple summits, and he started hang, shooting with, he, he doesn't want to, and he always apologized. Dad, do you care if I shoot with Brian and Sam? I'm like, no, dude. You know, he, he almost thinks that, but he wants to put himself in that yeah. high stress. Yeah, that's, I, that's, I, I think that's, that's a good rare. thing. Yeah, I think it's a good thing. The father son, it's you, you're you're his father, right? It's passive between you two. There's unconditional love. There's the respect is already there. Everything's it's there, right? right. It's your son. It's your dad. When you get out of that, that's when you start becoming something. Like that's when you start finding what you have. You know what I mean? I agree. I think you put your man, you put your boy in with some other high quality men. Yeah. That don't cut him any slack. Yeah. Like now, Brian was. Kind of took him under his wing the first year, until he kind of realized that Eli was going to stay with him, and and now Brian tries to put him down. I mean, 
you know, Brian's pretty competitive. He doesn't say it, but if Eli starts getting on the front, Brian says, no, no. I'm... And then he goes, we literally were almost running by the time we got back to the house. <laughs> That's awesome. And um, That's so anyway, funny. it's good. I think it's good to put those kids in that environment. Yeah. No, that's cool. He's uh, How many kids do you have? Well, I have a 28-year-old daughter that okay. just got married and having her baby. Wow. I'm going to be a, a grandpa. Uh, grandpa lives. Oh, nice. grandpa grandpa lives. Yeah. And then, so that was my first wife. Then I got divorced and mm -hmm. married a super young wife. Right. And so then I had my next round of kids when I was older. So I have a 10 and a 13-year-old. There you go. That's good. So, That's what I've got. I got a 10 and a 13 and an 18. But you're right? like 20 years younger than me. So Yeah, I don't know. How old are you? 57. I'm four. I'll be 44. Yeah. I'm a little, a little bit younger. Trail's just <laughs> spry, man. Trail looks, Trail's like a 20 year old. Yeah, it's exactly. crazy. But He's like know, Benjamin Button. He's going backwards. <laughs> I wish. I think I'm a more patient dad at, and as older. I was kind of a piece of work in my 30s. I'm just going to be honest. Yeah. I'm just going to be honest. I was kind of a piece of work. And um, once I grew up and, um, had these kids later in life, it's been a real blessing. I'm, and you know, that's mm -hmm. what happens when you marry a young wife. It's sure, just, keep you young. Right. Yeah, I was gonna ask you, how did you? I, I think you're probably. How would you describe yourself as far as like being known within this industry? Like, dude, I'm a newcomer. I mean, I, I was one of those guys. I have only had Instagram for three years. Okay. And I don't even have grip and grins of. I'd say seventy five percent of the animals I killed, I don't even have photos. Mm -hmm. I just was not, that was not my gig. Mm -hmm. I didn't do any social media. I didn't do anything like that. I just hunted, hunted, hunted. And I've always been a tech guy, like real heavy in the tech. I have a computer science back, you know, degree. <coughs> Biochem, believe it or not, biochemistry and computer science. Really? How weird is that? Being in the event business and yeah. now in the hunting industry. It's <laughs> weird, right? Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I'm kind of the new kid on the block and, and um, so I'm not, you know, I'm I'm getting a little more known now, I guess. But but, but, but you mentioned the tech side of it, right? Yeah. So, so, I mean, and I would say people probably generally know you from your e-scouting yeah. courses, right? You had Treeline Pursuits. Yeah. I know that you just, you've done a course now for outdoor class. Yeah. Um, I was just curious as to like how, what, what was it about that? Did, I mean, how did you get started into e-scouting? Like at what point did you look at that and go, yeah, I think this is something, there's something here that I could have a leg up or an advantage. Like this could help me. Well, the big deal was um, I'm from Missouri. I lived in Missouri my whole life. Uh -huh. And I worked for an Oregon bank, Oregon Tissue Bank. So remember I had a biochemistry degree. Yeah. I was going to med school. I moved to Columbia, Missouri from Springfield, Missouri to go to medical school. And I was working for an Oregon recovery agent. I was doing recoveries. Uh, bone, skin, eyes, different things, right? That from you know cadaveric donors. So you were doing the the actual extraction. Oh like, yeah, doing the. I was really on the removal team. Yeah, extraction team. This is something I never. I, I know a lot about you. I never. Yeah, I, I, know, I completely agree. Years, I've worked there twenty five years. No, I I know you. Mostly but this eyes. Is... Mostly eyes. Believe it or not. Really? How do you take an eye out? It's really simpler than you think. <laughs> <laughs> is it, is it like taking an eye out of a muscles. out of a euro? <laughs> there's four muscles, and then you take a cur pair of curved scissors. Cut the optic nerve. Boom. Watch out, trail might faint. No reservation with that ever? Like you... Uh... Oh, I'm, there's so many stories I could tell you. But So back in the old days, we used to do it at the morgue a lot, meaning morgues are funeral homes. Because I don't know if you guys want to get this. It's, no, it, I'm it, interested. I, I'm genuinely interested. <laughs> I'm, I so know a lot back about to you, the, just like we, Brady we said. We can go back to the other. Okay, I, never heard I, this. I want to hear this. So we're, I mainly work for an eye tissue bank. And 
Um, but we partnered with other like Red Cross, Bone and Skin. We was on a lot of different recoveries, but mainly eyes was our specialty. Whatever. But in those back in the day, now I think it still happens a little bit today, but I've been out of it for a while. But the body, the eyes last are are viable for transplant. Not the whole eye guys, just the cornea, just the front part. Mm-hmm. Um, is viable for eight, nine, 10, 12 hours after death, depending on the situation. If the body can be kept cool, et cetera, et cetera. So a lot of times the bodies will be transported to the funeral home. Mm-hmm. So remember, this is back in the late 80s, early 90s. No cell phones. We had, I remember when we got our first bag phone. You guys remember those? Mm-hmm. But in, the, in those days, we used pay phones. Yeah. And we had pagers. I mean, I know mm-hmm. some of you are like, what is that? A beeper. Yeah. And so we'd get a, I'd get a beep and they'd give me a number. I call and like, you got a donor. It's at the Bolivar funeral home. I'm like, okay, it's two o'clock in the morning. I'm like, okay. So I head out by myself, drive to the funeral home, meet the, meet the embalmer. Usually he says, Hey, when you get done, just shut the door. And, uh, you know, it's two mm-hmm. in the morning. Yeah. Lock so up on your way let out. Let me paint the picture for you. <laughs> You're going down the stairs in a funeral home by yourself to the morgue with multiple bodies. Got all the toe tags. You double check. You do your paperwork. Do your removal, and then you leave. Yeah. It it took a little while to get used to that, right? Yeah, mm. I can imagine. Every Halloween movie you've ever seen, every horror movie. <laughs> You can't hardly keep it from playing in your mind, right? Yeah. Now, after hundreds and hundreds of recoveries, it, you got to get used to it. But that's what I did for wow. 25 years. I have no chance. I'm no chance. I'm going down those stairs. I'd so, be like, yeah, I'm out. This so is here's for me. what's funny, men. So eventually, I became second in command of the company. I wasn't doing recoveries anymore. I worked there a long time. But anyway, when we trained new techs, the men were the worst because the men would come in. And be like, this doesn't bother me. Yeah, I'm I'm a badass. I'm tough. The minute they pull that sheet back and they see that dead body half burnt or whatever it is, they hit the floor like bam so often. Wow. But the girls, the women, were amazing because they would be so freaking scared, and they'd have so they have conjured up so many things that this was going to be mm-hmm. that when it. It was actually better than they had imagined it being. So it was almost a relief, right? So it was like, oh, this ain't so bad. Yeah. What I thought it was going to be. Yeah, they let their mind get ahead right? of they them. Let, they where the men tried to... away. The men were like... Yeah. <laughs> Ego got in the yeah, way. And they oh, would yeah. just hit the floor right and left. And you could tell they'd be... You'd look around, everybody's... You know, we're all stared gown and gloved. And these guys... <laughs> they start kind of weaving a little. And you're like, you need to sit down like right now. Wow. And uh, so we would take, you know, this was uh, mostly kids that were like trying to build their resume to get into med school mm-hmm. and stuff like that. that was most of our techs that we had working for us. That's a odd job. <laughs> like unreal. I mean, and we did a couple uh, thousand transplants a year. Wow. My goodness. So you, you were doing, you were in, that was in Missouri? That was in Missouri. So we got deviated there. So my boss at the time at this iBank was a researcher, real analytical dude. And he says, we're big whitetail hunters, right? We, we're, we, I've always been a big whitetail hunter. He goes, I was probably, I don't know, 22 or 3. He said, hey, let's go elk hunting. I'm like, yeah, let's do it. Mm-hmm. There was no resources. 
back then, right? We literally went to the library, checked out Tobo Maps, mm-hmm. start pouring over Tobo Maps in Colorado, find some random spot. We go out there. Our first hunt, we went in a minivan, two-wheel drive minivan. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we lost every hubcap. I don't know how many tires we bought on that trip, but I killed a cow elk that first trip. Hmm. By total accident, she committed suicide. <laughs> I mean, she literally ran right up to me. I'm st- on a stump. She ran right up to me. I shot her here to that bear. She's a donor. I literally, <laughs> She's a donor. with my bow, when she came around the tree, I had to lean back to keep her from knocking the arrow off my rest. Oh, wow. And I lit- I couldn't even put- look at my I just kind of, you know, put it on her and pulled the trigger. And she ran down the... <laughs> That's embarrassing. She ran down the hill. Ran right behind the van. Nice. I mean, that's how close it was. That's what we call a trophy cow. The blood trail was on the road, crossed it, and I was hooked. I'm like, Hmm. oh, this was, and I was hooked. So 19 years in a row, we hunted together in Colorado, my first 19. But the point was, I became very obsessed with these topo maps and and starting to figure out where we were finding elk and how did the terrain match up, right? So right in the very early days, I started trying to make these these deductions on why elk were in certain places. Mm-hmm. And I had no idea. There was no method to it. I was just trying to figure it out, right? Certain elevations, certain benches, certain how far from the road, all these things we know now. But in those days, I had no clue. There was no podcast. There was nothing. And what people don't realize that live out in the West is in Missouri, when you go into the bar to have a beer, Nobody's talking about elk hunting. No? Nobody. It's whitetails, right? <laughs> yeah. But in Montana, when I get... Yeah, everybody. Oh, where are you hunting this year? What state... What tags are you drawing? What state are you... But it's nonstop big game hunting, right, with all my friends. Mm-hmm. But but my friends in Missouri, whitetail, whitetail, whitetail. So the learning curve, of obviously, huge. Well, then, that's about the time Google Earth came out. Mm-hmm. And so it was three ninety nine. I remember paying for it as well. I know. Mm-hmm. I was like... That was a lot of money back then. Yep. And all it did was aerial photos. Mm-hmm. And so uh bought it and that gave, that revolutionized my work. Now I had Google Earth with my Topo Maps and I would mark up my Topo Maps like I do a markup now. So now it's a lot different, but all my markup schemes are my in my symbols. I was doing it in a crude way on printed maps. And when I was done, I would take packing tape and tape over the map to waterproof it or semi-waterproof it. And you know how it is. As soon as you get out there, you're not on the map. You see an elk and you don't even have a map. Mm-hmm. So then I got lost in Colorado for three days. Um, I made a mistake. I killed a bull. I thought I could take a shortcut. I made a big mistake. And and I kept walking at night, which is a mistake. Yep. Everything you could do wrong, I did. Ended up being lost for three days. They rallied the true force. I mean, everybody was getting search and rescue. It was a bad deal. So the next year is when Eagle Lawrence came out with that first GPS unit. Mm-hmm. I still have it. I should have brought it. I keep wanting to bring it on a podcast. They keep, it, it, it's about this long. It's got this big flip open screen, right? Mm-hmm. Holds 16, no, maybe eight. D batteries. Eight AA batteries. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and literally when you turn it on, you can see the battery start to go down, right? And all it would do was you could put a waypoint in and it would tell you the bearing, mm. like 180 degrees. So we just walk. And every once in a while we turn it on. Oh, shit. 
120 degrees now and we're halfway there jutting but there was no navigate you know you know how it was so that's kind of how i started was i have probably 20 or 30 gps units all of the progression up to the onyx chip mm-hmm. to now obviously the apps to go all the things that we have now so i guess in a way it was good for me because i've always been a tech guy but I got to learn all these tools from the very ground floor. And so really, kind of fast forward today, when I built my e-scouting course, I teach people how to build out Google Earth, how to put all of the data into Google Earth. Because, you know, it doesn't come with all this data, right? Mm-hmm. And some of you guys already do it, right? But a lot of, I couldn't real, I didn't, couldn't believe how many people don't. I thought everybody I, did. I, I probably don't. I'm sure. And I'm sure like, I don't. You don't have all the fires, the livestock allotments, yeah. the roads, the trails, the wilderness areas, the unit boundaries, the the snow levels, the current fires, the topographic. All that stuff can be put into Google Earth, but you have to go get it, and you have to style it, and you have to organize it. So I taught people how to do it in the course. Well, I started getting email after email after email, like, "Let us say this. I'm having trouble with this. I'm having trouble. I'm like, it's not that. It's not rocket science. Mm-hmm. But it was difficult for people." Mm-hmm. And so then I decided to build them and, and make them available. So that's my latest project I'm building these toolkits to go with Googler. So my the way I set my my whole e-scout thing up is like I'm a dual monitor or a four monitor. Depends on, you know, sometimes I run four, some two. But I have GoHunt, Web App, and I have Google Earth. And I use them in tandem, guys. It's like, you know, I, and yeah, I say this all the time is, you got to use the right tool for the right job. So, for example, Google Earth is not going in the field with you. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's pre-hunted. That's all it's, it can be done. Yeah. But when you partner it with your hunt platform, and you use the, like, go on the terrain analysis, the, the elevation bands. Man, I mean, those are when I'm using those in tandem with my other tools on Google Earth. I feel like it's the ultimate winner. Then I use Gaia too. I use a couple of other tools mixed in. And, um, but the point is, all these tools have superpowers. And, but like you guys are adding more features all the time, right? Mm-hmm. But it's not where we want it to be yet, but it's going to be. Mm-hmm. But in the meantime, we just keep using additional tools. Like now we got historical imagery and going. Yeah. You know, we've got new things. Um, but in the meantime, you know, I hope Google Earth is, we talked about this when yep. we had lunch, someday Google Earth will be obsolete. But at the moment, it needs, I feel like it's a partnership right now. Mm-hmm. I would agree. App. And our, our job is to make, for a hunter, Google Earth obsolete. That's, That's right. our job at GoHunt. Well, and we're working it, on it. Google Earth is, guys, we're talking about Google Earth Pro, the installate version, inst- installation application version. They don't update it. They don't maintain it. It crashes like crazy. It crashes all it's the time. Yeah. Now, my toolkits don't crash, though. Mm-hmm. Um, I've conquered that problem because the problem with Google Earth I know we're getting a little technical here but when you start putting in all this data guys Google Earth doesn't like it it's not designed it never was designed to hold like the entire state of roads there's 100,000 roads in Montana that are available to download and when you start putting those giant chunks of files in there Google Earth can't handle it so what I did was I created network links. I built all these files, put them on an Amazon server, and made them a linked file. So basically what that means is when you turn when you activate it in Google Earth, 
it retrieves that data at the moment you ask for it from the server. So it's not residing on your computer. Mm. So by not having the data on your computer, the crashing was eliminated. And that was a, that took me a year to figure that out. That, that, right. that path took me a year to figure out that programming for that. But yeah, that's kind of the setup and that's kind of the progression of how I got, mm -hmm. if I'm good at these guiding, it's because I had to be. Yep. Coming from Missouri, I had no choice. Yep. You know, I didn't want to come out two weeks and boots. I want to, I want to hunt all my vacation. So I just really, I just became a student of the game when it came to, you know, like Brady, I've learned it. You know, I, I Brady probably, there's few people that I think probably spend more time scouting me and he's one, uh, or he's scouting, but he, he did a very similar thing. He looks at where all his encounters, mule deer, where he sees them, what slope angles, what slope orientation. And he's developed this theories, these theories for mule deer. And um, that's the same, that's kind of the same path I took. Mm -hmm. So I've got 34 years of, guys, I'm not a giant killer. I'm walking around the go hunt here looking at these giant bulls. I'm like, Jesus, please. I just went and looked at your wife's bull a while ago. <laughs> I mean, yeah. that's, that's stupid. Yeah. Right. I'm a 300 inch bull killer. The problem is I can't let him go by. Yeah. I just, here he comes. Like, oh yeah. And then <laughs> I get tunnel vision and now this year I am going to try focus really in. hard, but, but I am pretty good at finding out. I think, I honestly yeah. think trail, you would know Brady, you probably would now by living down here for so long, but like there's a, the Southwest is it's kind of different bulls like when you have a tag down here you don't yeah. see as many little bulls to you know what i mean like oh, you don't, yeah i mean you don't have i mean they're, you you have encounters with small bulls but like not not you know not like that not up in, yeah in the, the, it just depends on the the type of tag that you've got you know i mean you've got a utah elk tag or arizona elk tag or nevada, elk you, tag. nevada i mean Mexico, you're not any of those i mean your your uh your age class is just that much better you've exactly. got you've, you've mineral, got that many more mineral, the growth but you know yeah and you know, if you do you see a 300 inch bull, there's probably one bigger with it. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that's just, it's, it's kind of a Southwest thing. Yeah, now, granted, I mean, we don't get as many elk tags as you guys do. Sure. I would love to right. kill. Not as much opportunity. Yeah. I'd love yeah. to kill a 300 inch bull every single year than yeah. have a tag once every seven years down here. Yeah. And that's kind of my thing, guys. I mean, I'd love to kill a 400 inch bull someday, maybe, a, you yeah. know, but I can't remember. This is the fewest elk tags I've had since <coughs> I moved to Montana. I have two. I only have two. I told my wife, I'm like, it's two more than I've got right now. I'm like, <laughs> I don't even know what I'm going to do with myself. I'm yeah. like, honey, I got two elk tags. This is like, I mean, I've had five. I've had six one year. Gosh, dang. And now that was a, that was a disaster. That was my worst elk hunting year ever. Cause I was constantly having to move to the next hunt. Like I just start to figure things out. I'm like, oh, crap, I got to go to New Mexico. I got to be in New Mexico by tomorrow. And then I got to be in Utah, but then I got to be, oh man, it was a, that was a terrible, as sexy as that sounded. Yeah. That was, that was stressful. We, we've talked about it a lot. Yeah, Sim we have. Similarly, I, I think the best seasons I've ever had personally, just in terms of success and then just satisfaction of a hunt, it's when I've had fewer permits and I've hunted harder, longer yeah. days. I'd rather hunt. I'd rather have one tag and hunt 10 days than two tags and hunt five and five. I just, it's just takes time to figure it out sometimes and yep. i mean you talk about bigger bulls i mean you've got more time consistently to put into one tag whether it's e-scouting you know if you're trying to e-scout for five tags 
You're not doing a very good guys. You're not doing a very good You're not doing it justice versus one tag. You can really do it due diligence, maybe potentially even get boots out on the ground. Then when you get out there and hunt, you've got 10 days blocked out to just hunt that. So I... Well, like this year, I, my, I totally get my it. tag, my Montana tag this year, I've got probably, I'm having like decision paralysis right now. I've got probably nine or 10 hunt plans worked out already. Let's dive into that. I'm, now I'm, I can't even decide, okay, man, this one looks good. This one looks, but I've done so much work because mm-hmm. I don't have to work on eight, three or four tags. True. This is a new area. never been there before. Um, never hunted for elk before anyway. But I've literally, there's probably not a trail or a road or a drainage that I have not looked at in, in Google Earth. And I'm now, it, it's a blessing and a curse because now I've got like three or four that I'm really, really, really gung-ho about. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then, unfortunately, I never do boots on the ground. Never. never. But this year I did. Mm-hmm. I've driven to this spot and seen some giants. Well, that even made it worse. Because now I've got these spots, and then I saw some bulls, and I'm like, oh, man, this bull's big. Well, this bull's big, and this bull's, he's too close to the road. Like, I feel like there's going to be hunters all over him, and do I want to invest on this one, or do I want to go ahead and pack in 12 miles with my llamas? So I know this is real world. This is third world problems, right? But I'm excited, so my wife always tells me, the reason you don't kill big bulls is because you have too much time to hunt. And I'm like, what do you mean she was... You, you text me all the time, like, you're not excited about killing anything for the first 14 days. Yeah. You know, I hunted elk last year for like 60, 65 days. And she goes, that's your detriment. When you came from Missouri, you were in kill mode from day one. <laughs> she was like, you know, I noticed in you, like, you'd be like, I'm on this bull. I'm going to kill him tomorrow. And I never get those texts from you now. You're like, well, yeah, I'm laying up here looking at bulls, drinking coffee, you're on a camping Maybe trip. Maybe I'll go down there. Maybe I won't. <laughs> yeah. Because I know I got another month. So I think I've gotten lazy. I'm just going to be honest with you guys. I think I've gotten a little bit lazy because I'm blessed yeah. to have so much time. Yeah. And Montana season's ridiculously it long. It is ridiculous. And even Wyoming's ridiculous. Idaho's long. All these states that I kind of rotate in have long seasons. And maybe that's hurting me a little too as I... I've got my llamas. I'm not hurting for nothing. I got tons of food, tons of everything. And it might just be the stage you're in. You might just enjoy the journey more. Yeah, I'm, I'm the, older. Yeah. I'm more patient. Yeah. Um, I'm not so <clears throat> wired all the time. Yeah. So uh, anyway, I'm I'm loving it, and um, and I'm and blessed. I get to spend a lot of time doing it. But you know, I was talking to those guys earlier. It's like I don't go back to the same spot. So one, I came from Missouri, so I had to get good at it just by force but the second was i think the one of the bigger ones is that i don't hunt the same places twice mm-hmm. like um, lorenzo was saying I, i'm i'm an adventurer yeah. and that forces me to constantly develop new hunt plans so you're getting ready to ask me a yeah i was gonna ask you say i i wouldn't say that i put together i'm not a very good planner in terms i'm good at picking areas i'm good at picking you know glassing points i'm good at like looking at a map uh you know topo aerial I'm, I'm good at looking areas and then I'm, I'm a whole lot better one once i get out on the ground i get boots you're, on the ground you're a phenomenal hunter i'm, I'm like, a lot better East hunter than i'm an, a, a scouter yeah. e-scouter but i was curious is like I, I wouldn't say i put together a very good plan so i was see that i'm not i don't mean to interrupt you but that's not true uh, not i don't true. know because 
You got it right here. Your Lambert says the same thing. Ryan Lambert says the exact same thing. But what you have is you just can look at it. You don't know why when you pull up Google Earth, you don't even know why you start to look over here and why you start to look over here and what, why is this a good spot versus this spot? It's all that knowledge you have and it's that intuition and experience. And so for guys that don't get to do it that much, mm -hmm. they don't have that innate ability. So you're working your hunt plan out, but it's all just here. Yeah, I'm not putting it on You're my not putting it on paper because yeah. you don't really point. have to. It's a really good point. Yeah, you don't really have to. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. But no, you're you're good. You're, it's a good point. Yeah, I think you're right. But I was curious as to you, like when you you have a Montana elk tag, you said yeah. that you never hunt the same place twice. Yeah. How do you? What's your first step? Like, how do you approach that? Like, do you? What layers? I mean, what's important to you? What do you? What are you thinking about out the well, gate? I'm going to sound like a sales tool here, but my initial steps are almost what's my OC class is my new outdoor class mm -hmm. that's just getting ready to come out in the next few days. There's a lot of my initial stages in that class. One of them, there's a whole module dedicated to flyover tours. And I do these like all the time. And what I mean by that is one of the things that Google Earth is really good at is drone view flyovers. But it's not set up for hunting. Google Earth was not built for hunters. Yeah. I mean, we like to think it was. If they knew we were killing things using their platform, they'd probably shut it down. They would. Um, but so the settings that Google Earth comes with are totally jacked up. The default settings is what I mean mm -hmm. for hunters. But so when they get it and they start messing with it, it doesn't really do what they wanted to do and they kind of lose interest. But if you know how to set a few things, and I'm just going to rattle these off. I know we're not doing a demo, but this is covered in my OC course. Yeah. So. So, get, so you, do it. Yeah, any questions so that you might function. have, get the OC course. It's yeah. a pretty little known function. I don't, do you use it? Yeah, I, I know I've done the flyover quite a bit. Should I say this? Is this no, you should. Okay. We're here for the people. <laughs> say it all. So basically you take Google Earth and you take the path tool and you drag the path tool like, let's say you're just interested in this basin, this big bowl, it's a spoon drainage, meaning this big basin with the, with the canyon facing to the north. Those are some of my favorites, right, for elk, for archery elk. And I'll draw the line, like, up the ridge, just wherever, okay? Just draw this big 20-mile line through this whole area, kind of through all the area that I'm interested in. And then I go at the very bottom in Google Earth, there's a little function called Play Tour. And you can play that tour from that line. But before you do that, you have to go to the settings under the, I think it's a tour tab. I'm, this is all memory at this point. Mm -hmm. And you set your camera angle 60 degrees. You set your elevation to 1,200 meters. And you set the speed to 600. That's my that's my setting. That's what I like the most. Now, you can play with those in Justin or whatever. But what that does, it's like the camera at 60 is like you're flying looking out the front window of the, air, of the drone or mm -hmm. the airplane, right? Let's think you're flying a, you know, you were talking about flying and looking for mule deer. You're flying along, that's what they're doing. They're flying at about 1,000, mm -hmm. 1,200 feet, and they're looking out, right? So you're setting the camera up in Google Earth to, to those settings. But what's really not known is how to run the tour. You can set these settings, right? And it's just, there's no button, there's no menu item, there's no, 
it's a little tiny thing down in the in the in the my in the panel mm -hmm. in the my places panel. It's down in the lower right corner of that, and it's you right you click on it, it says play tour, but you have to have the path selected. So you select the path, hit play tour. Google does its thing. It rotates 3D. It sets the camera 60, goes up a thousand feet, and it flies that line at 600. And I just sit back in the chair, and I just watch as it flies, and I just start absorbing. I usually have a notepad. I'm like, maybe I'm making some notes. I'll stop the tour. You can just pause it. I'll mm -hmm. drop a pin, restart it, and I'll do that eight, nine, ten times. You will be shocked with what you start to pick up like oh look how that meadow look how that meadow wraps around to that north side there's that man that's a beautiful looking bench there you might not have picked it up just scanning around right mm -hmm. but letting it just fly and it really is like a drone flying your country gotcha. um and you can play with the elevation you can play with the speed you can play with the camera tilt but the key is to get it set up kind of in that range and is that kind of what your theory is on same numbers virtually? Using the flyover and just scanning around. I, you want to learn the unit like the back of your hand. Man. That's basically what you're trying to do right away is like, what catches your eye? I feel like when I do that a lot, when I pull up there, I feel like, man, I've been here before. Gotcha. I mean, I kind of know it. So when I'm looking at a new area, I'm doing those a lot. I run them, run them, run them. And then I'll tweak the line. Like, you know, I want to look at it from this way. Or I'll fly the line in reverse. Hmm. All kinds of tactics, right? You can, the sky's the limit. Once you know how to do that little process, but guys, there's almost no, you can Google it till you're blue. There's almost no information about that little function. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and then, like I said, a lot of times I've got go hunt on my other screen while I'm doing the flyovers and I'm looking at the topo view and I'm kind of looking at some of the train. Well, how steep is that? I can see it on this. So, again, using them in tandem. I can't, honestly, I can't think of a time that I've ever done a lot of e-scouting work with one window open, with one screen open. Mm -hmm. Would you agree? I mean, rarely do I pull one tool up. When I sit down on my computer, I literally open up CalTobo, Go Hunt, Gaia, Google Earth, arrange my screen, and go to work. That's kind of my process. I don't start off with with Gohan or Google and just that's all I got rarely rarely I get everything set up and then I start working and you, you kind of know what I would assume as you're flying that you're doing the tour you've got built-in features that you're looking for and you, you mentioned benches I'm looking for the 12 features so I look for 12 things when it comes to elk I have 12 criteria okay and those 12 you're not going to ever find a spot well I haven't found a spot that has all 12 but what I'm looking for, I call this odds multiplication. What I'm looking for is areas that have multiples of those 12. So fires is one. Elk and fires just are synonymous, yeah. right? And I'm actually adding a 13th one hmm. um, is edge habitat. Because yeah. I'm starting to learn that, you know, fires is obviously edge habitat. Beetle kill is obviously edge mm -hmm. habitat. But in general, edge habitat is, is prime. So I'm in the process of kind of retooling some of my stuff to, to add a 13th factor but fires beetle kills log outs um those are criteria obviously water in some areas that's one yep. uh, benches i'm very focused on exact benches not just benches 
very specific benches that meet certain criteria. Guys, all benches are not created equal when it comes to elk hunting. In my mind, guys, this, this is all my opinion. I just want to be clear on that. This may not be everybody's sure. opinion. I like benches that are more than halfway up the slope. I really like them three quarters of the way. And I like them above a drainage with no trail in the bottom. And I like them on north, northeast, northwest slopes. And I like them where it's super, super steep above the bench and super, super steep below the bench. When all that lines up, I get excited about that bench. Right. So that's just benches. Canyons is one of them. They're, canyons and drainages is I evaluate very carefully for me. I look at them very, very specifically, and I have a whole bunch of factors. Meadows, feeding environments. I have 10 rules in my course that I absolutely live by when it comes to meadows. 10 rules that I never break. I shouldn't say never, but there's got, I've just got to be overwhelming reasons that I'll break them. For example, the biggest meadow in the area. Like when you look at Google Earth, the biggest meadow in the area, I scratch off the list right off the bat. Because mm -hmm. every hunter sees that. Yeah. It's, yeah. A, it's a hunter magnet. Yeah. Any meadows that trails are running to them, whether it's on the topo map, they're within two miles of the road. I know there's going to be people messing around there. And and um, and meadows that are super steep where they don't hold moisture, yeah. you know, serious ridge. Um, just, there's criteria, right? Mm -hmm. So when I look at a meadow and it doesn't fall in that those 10 rules, I'd say, okay, that's one of the 12 features. Gotcha. So I got 12 of those things that I kind of, so what I look for is an area that might have five or six of the 12. And, you know, historically, and guys, I'm not bragging, but if I can find an area that has four, five, six of the 12, I absolutely have no doubt that I'm going to run into elk there. Somewhere. It may take me a day or two to kind of True. get it figured out, but I know that they're there. I'm that confident in it. But if I see a spot that has two or three of the features and I'm like, oh, and slope degree, slope um, orientation, direction of the slope, mm -hmm. and the steepness of the slope is or other criteria. But if you can find the spot that has the right canyon and the right slope pitch and the right orientation and the right meadows and the right and has edge habitat, has a burn, has all these things wrapped into it. Things are looking good. Right. Mm -hmm. You uh, you brought up earlier, and you're, you're kind of hitting on it again, um, the Go Hunt terrain analysis tool. Can you can you give us an idea on how you're using that? And you're, you're saying th you're saying things like slow. Should I say should I say like a do a tell all here? Yes. Yeah. Okay. We're, we're here for the people, so right? This is exactly. what I'm looking at right I now. I hold you two accountable. I hold everyone accountable for so this is a good, being good here for the people. You guys are going to get in a lot for your money on this podcast. So I just uncovered this. Just, just re I am. Maybe I'm slow. Brady's probably been doing this for a long time. <laughs> but I'm hunting an area where the terrain is real undulating. Okay, mm -hmm. there's no peaks. There's no obvious glassing spots. There's no like that just jump out and be like, oh, I got to go there because that's the best view, right? So I've been running view sheds all over this freaking country. And what I mean by view sheds is checking the line of sight, right? What mm -hmm. can I see from all these different spots? Well. It's, it's difficult. So what I did was I said, I got to identify the highest spots in these areas. When you just look at the topo map and you got all the numbers, it's hard to tell. Hard to visualize for sure. Okay. So in Google Earth, you can drag your mouse around, right? A lot of guys don't realize this, but as you drag your mouse around, hint, hint, I won't go on to be able to do this. Um, <laughs> as you drag around in the bottom, the elevation is reading mm -hmm. live. Yeah. Yep. 
We're, it's close. That, that's a game changer, guys. If you are not doing that, so that's kind of step one. Sometimes I'll just drag around Google Earth, kind of see the high spots, right? But now I've kind of adapted Go on. So what I do in Go on is I go right to the um, terrain analysis tool, mm-hmm. not the elevation bands. Because the elevation bands, they're good, but they're bands, they're ranges, right? So a lot of people think of terrain analysis tool that I can look at north degree slopes, I can look at south. You can, but there's so much more because of all the settings. Mm -hmm. So I know that the highest spot, Brady knows where I'm going with this already, Mm -hmm. in this area, I know that about 3,100 to 3,200 is about as high as it is in this area, right? But I need to see all the spots above 3,200. Mm-hmm. That band, right? He's in it. So I go to training house. I turn on all slope angles. I turn on all slope orientation. And then I set the range to 3,200 and over. Bam. Everything in green. And there's not much. There's just tiny little slivers of green around my area. Then I pull up Google Earth. Sorry, I pull up Google Earth because I need the USGS topographic map. And I start scanning those high part, high spots. And I start running view shed analysis from those. So you would never be able to pick out those tiny little high spots if you just look at a topo map. Yeah, especially when you're hunting different terrain features. Right, when it's not obvious. Now, when you got 3D and the mountains are big, it's pretty obvious, right? Mm -hmm. But when you're looking at coolie country or or more gentle rolling country, glassing is actually harder. Right? Mm-hmm. Because of the curvature of the hills and things. Yep. So that's how I'm using Go Hunt now is very, very minute ranges so that basically what I'm saying to say is I want to see the highest little tiny sections in that whole area. And then what I'll do is I'll set it at 32 and I'll make notes. And then I'll go to 31 and I'll make notes. And I'll go to 3,000. And, and all this, every time I click down, the amount of green gets more, right? Mm-hmm. So, guys, think about it. I hope you're paying attention to this. As you ratchet up that elevation, the amount of space available is shrinking, mm-hmm. right? Yep. So now I've been able to drill in to three or four spots that I can see the entire freaking area from. And I, I, I'll be honest with you, I'm pretty good at this stuff. Yeah. Two or three of them shocked me. Two or three, I'm like, I never, I never even realized that that was the high spot. Looking at the topo, maybe just, it just ran together. Yeah. So that's how I'm using it for this particular hunt. Mm-hmm. Um, really good for breaks country, mule deer hunting, elk hunting. That's um, when you've got this train. You know, you think about um, coolie country. You might have an elevation range of only 200 feet. Yeah, that's not a big range yep. to work with. And so glassing spots are really critical in that in that range. And so anyway, that's kind of how I'm using it. That hope that makes sense. Yeah, no, it totally. Sometimes it's hard to describe it on a podcast. No, it totally makes sense. I think that's like a specific use case scenario that you you've, you've kind of pulled out one that I th- I think I've thought about. I think I w- I have a mule deer tag in Nevada, and I was just doing the same thing that you essentially just described. Uh, but see, the a, thing is, a couple days you, ago, I want to say this for the listeners: you guys like. Even me, I mean, I'll throw myself in the camp. We've been doing this for so long, it seemed obvious that that's what we would use that tool for. 
Yeah. But the guys that are kind of newer at it, they never would have dreamed to think about isolating it that specifically. Yeah, right? You can isolate your glassing points. Yeah, you're isolating for the high them using this, this go-on-terrain mm-hmm. analysis tool, right? So that's the benefit of talking about it. It's like, and that's what I was talking about earlier when I interrupted you. It's like, you just naturally, well, pff, hell yeah, I would do that. It makes sense. <laughs> but I... <laughs> I talked to so many newer hunters sure. that they don't even cross their mind that that's, an, that's an, an something option. they would do. Yeah. yeah. And then we, we also talked about uh, benches you're mentioning. You can use the flats layer on the train analysis right. tool to locate benches. Yeah, and I've used it quite a bit too, just for elk hunting. Like, you know, you mentioned north, northeast facing slopes and kind of finding bedding areas and looking for like thick cover. And I've used it just to look at the landscape and just throw on those two portions of the landscape so I can just look at it. Like, just visually, I can step back and look at it and be like, okay, these are my north, northeast facing slopes and kind of where they are in relation to, you know, access or. You know, a bunch of different factors, but I do do that visually. Just look at it. Just, okay, there's my north, northeast. Let's Brady open the door. We'll just. Yeah, walk in. We'll say another <laughs> one. So the bitch is, since I've got all the powers that be at Gohan, I'm going to use mm-hmm. this opportunity to put out my feature request. Yeah. <laughs> so you know how we can drag the elevation to within 100 feet? Yep. Mm-hmm. We need the same thing for slope. Yeah. Get rid of those ranges. Let us use her to find, because then. We've got more control of that bench. You can say, mm-hmm. I want the flat spots in relation to, I'm sorry, I got the, the flat spots in relation to the steep spots. So you remember what I said about I would set it to 32 to, ver- to highlight these high spots? Well, we're going to do the same reverse engineering process for benches. We're going to set the slope flat, flat so we're looking for, not flat, but zero to five degrees, zero to maybe 15 15. degrees. Mm -hmm. And we want all, we want only North slopes, North, Northeast, Northwest. And we want this slope flat, but we got to have it user defined. Mm -hmm. And uh, then bam, all of the obvious benches, the colors. So then what do you do with that? Well, what I start looking at then in that point is cluster. I call it a cluster effect. So all of a sudden you're looking at your map and you're like, look at all this big mountain range. Look at this, look at all this zero to 15 degree over here on this slope. There's eight or nine little spots all together. And on this side, there's only one. Mm -hmm. Well, I like clusters when it comes to elk hunting, but you never would pick that up with your eye. I mean, you might, if you were super skilled at looking at topography maps. And that's another thing I take for granted is I've looked at topography maps for 34 years. Mm-hmm. I can look at a topography map and almost like a roadmap to me, right? I would say most people are not that way anymore. I was at the hunting summit and a guy raises his hand and said, what, when you say a contour line, what are you, what are you yeah, talking what do you about? Mean? Like, what do you mean by a topo map? Like, what? Yeah. yeah. What's, I, a, what's an index? Yeah, I would say most what's people... What's an interval? When you say a 200-foot index, what's that mean? Versus a... Index versus a yeah. guys. A lot of people don't realize that topo maps are not created equal as well. Mm-hmm. And in the West, a lot of these maps are 200 foot indexes, right? But if you can go to Glacier National Park, some super super steep high country, sometimes are 400 and 600 foot intervals. Hmm. So the train looks like that looks pretty flat. Yeah, well it ain't. Yeah. <laughs> so you got to pay attention to the index. Yeah, mm-hmm. you go to Missouri, it's 10. There are 50 foot. Index. Um, indexes. Yeah, lines. So it looks super steep, right? Like, but it's not that steep. Yeah. I mean, over a mile, you only climbed 100 feet. 
Yeah. So you pay attention to those kinds of things when you're doing your work as well, depending on where you're hunting. Um, so I don't know. Those are good tips. Yeah. One other thing that you brought up earlier is you you, uh, you mentioned historical imagery, and we just kind of really launched our own, you know, historical imagery. Google's or Google Earth's have historical imagery, but I was curious as to uh, like how are you using historical imagery? Like, give give us like three tips for using historical imagery or things that you use. I mean, only imagery. three. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, we'll narrow it down to three. All right. So this this is I'm when this came out on Gohan. I'm probably. The terrain analysis and the lands, the elevation bands are probably my favorite. Mm-hmm. And I like to be able to turn the fires off. So my three, my personal three favorite go hunt features are being able to individually turn those fire layers off. You're talking by year, right? By year. Yep. I mean, that's just, that seems like a no brainer to me. Nobody does. I don't know. I don't get it. So I love that. Um, I love the terrain and the lands. I use, I, I'm finding new ways to even use that tool. And I'm going to start putting the heat on you guys to get me some, <laughs> some sliders. Um, but the historical image is another one, okay? So now I know we got a ways to go. Um, I wish it had more images in it. I'm just going to be honest. I like to be honest. Sure. We need more than we got, Lorenzo. Mm-hmm. But it's getting there. At least we got them. At least we got some dates. We're getting there. Mm-hmm. And um, so I like historical imagery for lots of reasons. But here's number one. So... When you're looking at, um, well, it just, sometimes it depends because some of these images are so old, guys. You just, that's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. And when you're looking at a three to five year burn, sometimes there's not even images available in that range, right? Mm-hmm. But pressure analysis. I spend a lot of time looking at trailheads and trails. Mm-hmm. So when I'm looking at a trailhead, A, I want to page back, do every image I can get to see how many cars are parked there at all the dates, right? And then I want to zoom in. Are there horse corrals there? How how, how obvious are the trails? Um, all these things. So when I'm looking at pressure, mm-hmm. so I use historical imagery a ton for that. So the second thing I use historical imagery for is my favorite place. I'm on. I don't know if I've ever said this before, but my favorite place to hunt elk is Beetle Kills. Yeah. But it's the most dangerous place to hunt elk too. They are very difficult to navigate. Jack straw. And, and not only that, just got to know the condition of it, right? Because mm-hmm. remember, I don't do boots on the ground. Yeah. So I'm going to march in there and I got to know, is that, are those trees on the ground? Well, one, is there a beetle kill? Number two, what's the age of that beetle kill? And number three, what's the status of those trees? Mm-hmm. So I have, all, <clears throat> sorry, my voice. I have a whole module in my course dedicated, an hour and a half module dedicated just to beetle kills because I am I geek out on beetle kills. But what I use historical imagery for, we did a little video at the summit on this, is I page back through the years until I see the little brown trees. The little snowflake brown trees tells me that's the beginning of that beetle kill. And I look at the image date. Guys, if you don't have the image date, it means nothing. Mm-hmm. If you pull up on X, and you see the little brown trees, it means absolutely nothing because you don't know what year that photo is. You don't know, you don't know shit. And um, a guy, any of the tools, right? Mm-hmm. So that's why I had to go to Google Earth because I need the date. Right. I need to find the date when that brown occurred. So for example, I'm hunting a spot last year. I page back, it was 2013, I saw the brown. I'm like, okay, 2013. 2023, I feel pretty good about this. 
means everything's going to, there's not going to be any, any, obviously no pine needles. It's going to be open, but I feel like a lot of the trees are still going to be standing. Yeah. So I march in there. I had a few trees down, just enough to give them some security, but not enough to impede me to hunt it. Yeah. But you never would have known it if you wouldn't have done what I just said. There's no other way to do it except with historical imagery. And uh, so the first stage of beetle kill is that brown, right? Mm -hmm. And then it becomes the snowflake gray. So a lot of people, when they look at the map, they say, well, I can't tell sometimes if it's a burn or a beetle kill. Well, the telltale is the snowflake. And what I mean by the snowflake is when the, <clears throat> when the beetle kills the tree, the limbs stay attached. So when you're looking at it from above, it looks like a, a gray snowflake. Snowflake from the top. But when a burn hits it, the limbs are gone. gone. So you'll see the shadows of the, of the trees. So um, that's one way you can tell real easily. Mm -hmm. And so typically, now don't quote me on this. This is in my course. I'm trying to do this. Remember, I think pine trees in typical pine trees are about 10 to 12 years um, before they start to fall on a beetle kill. Now, unless there's a wind event or something like that, sure. right? And then spruce beetles, they, the spruce trees, the root systems are um, a little deeper. They're, they can hang on a little longer. So they can go a little longer. So depending on the types of trees that you're in your area. Um, but like the pine beetles are pretty, you know. Mm -hmm. Guys, this is critical if you're hunting Wyoming and Colorado for sure. Yep. The beetle kill is massive in those states. Even Montana's cranking up, right, a little mm -hmm. bit. But you really should understand how to age beetle kills. Because let me tell you, there ain't much worse than driving up to Trailhead A and you get there and you're like, holy shit. Yeah. All these trees on the ground and you're... Now your hips are going to be burning. You're going to be yeah. You'll be high stepping for hours and days and but days there, and but days. There, there are there are tricks and hacks that you can use e scouting mm -hmm. to age that beetle kill, and one of them is that is historical imagery. That's a good one. So you got you got pressure, pressure trailheads, which is one that I do. Yeah, I I probably just hadn't thought about it, but I definitely yeah. always. In fact, I was just talking to Neville two days ago. We were looking at a unit for elk in Colorado. Same thing, cruising trailheads and looking to see how number the number of vehicles and horse trailers. So the corral things really interesting too. Like, yeah, yeah. The the corral corral and, and when, the they're, when they're parked there. Yeah, when they're parked there. And like you can, I saw a trailhead. It's, it there's like thousands of cars, not that lots of cars in July. Yeah. So this thing gets it. But then I looked Outdoor in rag. September and there was like two. Yeah. So it gets a lot of lake, like there's some high mountain lakes. So it must get a lot of uh, outdoor rec recreational, crowd. but not as much hunting. Gotcha. But if you didn't do that, you wouldn't know. Yeah, that's a great and, one. You know, and when you pull up to the trailhead, guys, like I hunted this trailhead in Colorado. It was a nightmare, right? Total nightmare. Hundreds of cars there. But when we made the corner, when we made the turn, I was expecting it because I had already looked at yeah, it. Yeah, you looked. But if you make the corner and you never looked and you see 100 cars, <laughs> gutted. how do you feel about that? You're like, <laughs> gutted. You feel, Absolutely you gutted. You feel like gutted. Trailhead. Yeah. So let's talk about that a second. So this spot was, I mean, we were in elk every single day and never saw a hunter. But there were over, and I'm not exaggerating, well over 100 rigs at this trailhead. But we knew we were going there. We knew there was a lot of elk there, but we knew we had to get off trail. Mm -hmm. So we literally did eight miles with the llamas with no trail. We never saw a hunter. They don't get off the trail that far. Yeah. But, if we, but we knew that strategy because of the pressure that trailhead had. So we developed our hunt plan around the pressure. Yeah, knowing the people and were there. And we went to a mesa where there was no water at all. So we packed the water in the llamas. We took 12 llamas and six of them carried nothing but water. And we were able to stay 12, we were able to stay 10 days with no water. 
um, for us and the llamas because those six llamas carried 80, 90 pounds of water each. Mm-hmm. And um, But nobody else could do that. Horse guys couldn't even go up there yeah, because horses couldn't drink. So it was a, it was a money spot. But we planned that out because of the pressure that we picked up on using the historical imagery. Yeah. So that's a good one. You got a third one? So you the last one I use is moisture content. So this is sounds strange when I say it, but what I do with it is I will page back through the years. Like when you pull up an image from June, everything's freaking green. Green. Mm-hmm. Right? The meadows yeah. are green. Especially this year. Everything's green. <laughs> You can't really make a determination of what meadow looks maybe more enticing than another meadow, what drainage is a little more green than other ones. So historical imagery allows you to page back to to September. Mm -hmm. And actually, I look at October as many as I can. I know that sounds weird. A lot of people want to look at September because I'm hunting in September. But it's really the driest in October. So what I'm looking for are green ribbons and the halo effect. I'm gonna tell you about. I'll tell you what I mean by that in a second. But I'm trying to pick up these green, these these more green spots. Sometimes you know, it's it's more of a that looks a little greener than this one. Mm-hmm. They're both green, but this one's a little green. brighter. This is a little well, Brady more. Brady want to be able to. Brady, Brady can't. About it. He it's can't it's do it. Brady can't. Brady's but, like but, that one know, looks normal. a little more gray. It's like my computer trail. <laughs> yeah, like. Hey trail which one's greener (laughs) but so you see what i'm saying yeah so um and it's a great way to pick up these high moisture meadows high moisture feed zones so then i'll look at the horse derrick image too for um halo effect and what i mean by halo effect is guys i found that some of the best meadows for elk elk like edge habitat we've already talked about that right but they like variety of vegetation and when you find these meadows on Google Earth that have the green halo on the inside, meaning a different color of green on the edge, like you'll see the middle be, it's all, I call it a halo, but I don't know. It's basically just a band of a different green on the outside edge. Not all meadows have it, but you'll look at something like, oh, look at that, look at that halo. Those, I, those get my interest because I've had great luck, especially when that meadow is close to some of the other 12 criteria that I was talking about, mm-hmm. then I get really excited yeah. about that metal, right? So I use that historical imagery to analyze moisture content by date and that halo effect as well. Those are all good. Really good. Man, real nuggets. I could listen to them talk for hours. That's me. I could like, just... Okay, <laughs> all right, Kate, we're doing this next. All right, Kate, we're doing that next. Yeah, so, so I got a big one then. Oh, Brady, this is a tell-all. You said, <laughs> the last podcast you said was, what was the the, the best... Eat? Best East County podcast of all time. Was, yeah. we, were, we were joking around about it. This is going to be the new, the new best. The new best one. 2.0, 2.0. I like that. So I don't know if I'm proud to say it, but we, we leaked it a few times. I have an elk tag this year. Oh, Okay. Wow. Yeah. I have an elk, big elk guy. Wow. Brady is big huge elk, elk guy. guy. You've yeah. talked about it like all morning. You I tried like, to get never, him to wear an elk t-shirt today. I don't think I've today. ever seen you like, kind of, you're excited about this. Yeah. So I've, I've even shown some digiscope footage too. Brady uh, called yeah. me this weekend. This is no shit. Yeah, he called funny. Sunday? He called me yeah, Sunday. Sunday. Calls me Sunday. Genuinely as excited as I've heard Brady in a long time about scouting for elk. It's so easy. <laughs> and I was like, you so sound easy. genuinely very excited. Dude, big bulls, big six point, man. They're, you know, they bulls, like and bulls, bulls and bulls and bulls, more bulls. It is fun because so he was easy. jacked. Because <laughs> I was looking at the deer and I'm like, wow, that deer I just glassed up was very hard Brady to glass up. Brady was stoked. But that elk was 
about he's, an elk. Right he's, he's, he's coming into his own. We're seeing it happen before <laughs> our eyes. Right? I was like, "Do you see he's any deer?" He's like, "Wasn't looking. No, no deer. <laughs> yeah, no deer. <laughs> deer never heard of it. Elk." <laughs> so, yeah, I have. I have an elk tag. It just so happens to be a a coveted elk tag. Let's just put it that way. It took me a lot of points to draw. My chance to kill a giant bull. For a guy like me, let's talk about layer stacking on Go Hunt Maps. If I'm looking to east, I've already east got a ton. Like since I drew the tag, I've been east scouting. I already have one boots on the ground trip. I'm going to do four more this this fall before my hunt starts. But let's talk about where. What would be my first step that you would go through? Talking about layer stacking. Like what layers would you add on to someone? Like oh, I have this giant unit, or maybe some multiple units. How would I try to like narrow it down to maybe a little smaller area to maybe do like you said, like we don't have time to drive out. Let's say I never could go boots on the ground scouting. How would I like maybe stack some layers on there to try to figure out and hone in on a good spot to okay, so first for, thing for I would do first thing I would do, I mean, before I did anything else, I would go to the train analysis tool. I set the slope to 15 to 25 degrees. I would say north, northeast, northwest. Cause this well This is you're, an October you're, tag. You're later season, right? Yeah, later season. L- let's just say archery for you know. Yep, we can do archery. Yeah. Um for for this example, since I already started, I mean, you are you're, you're still. I mean, I still yeah, yeah, wait, wait, yeah, yeah. I would still wait, do the what? same. No, oh, I agree. Oh, oh, oh! I'm hunting in Mexico. I screwed that up. My let, bad. Let's say it's hot. <laughs> so I'd still I'd still do the same, even for that that time frame. Um, see, I didn't say it. I, I said it. You're going to have to edit. This, you're going to have to edit. This, this is the way I'm picturing this. No one can get a tag even if they ever want it. <laughs> you, know so like, you know when you're watching TV and all of a sudden it just goes out and it's just the bars, you know? And yeah. Ee, that's, that's what's what going to happen does. right then. <laughs> so my, my bad. That won't go live. <laughs> okay, Sorry, so Brady. now that we've got that snafu out of the way, yep. northeast, northwest, north, northeast, northwest, and north, very specific slope range, 25 to... Maybe 30. I'd play with it. Yeah. But the reason it doesn't really matter. I want to set that slope. I want to set that orientation. And then I want to turn it on. And I want to see, and I want to see the clusters. Okay. Remember what I said about those elevation? I want to say, where's the biggest concentrations? Yeah, where, of, all the, where all those, like, all that stuff. Where's needs. the most green? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, look over. There's a whole bunch of green here in this drainage. There's almost none in this drainage. Does that mean there's no elk? No, it does not mean anything, guys. Mm-hmm. Remember, there is no magic bullet, right? Yeah. We're all we're doing is increasing the odds of encountering elk. Mm-hmm. We're not guaranteeing nothing, but this is one step to get it started. Set those slopes up, and I start. I do it. I use the area tool, in you know mm-hmm. the polygon tool. Yep, that's my guys. Answer. I'm not very many owners use that tool very much. It is one of the most valuable tools when it comes to markups. So what I'll do is I'll draw an area around these areas and I name them. I put a couple notes in there. Are you doing that before you're adding other layers? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. I'm just I'm just highlighting these these slopes. Mm-hmm. They just just give me an idea. Now I'll go back a lot of times and delete all this data. Sure. So that's when you know I know I'm getting off track here, but guys, one of the things about People are real reluctant to delete, to delete their data for some reason, right? But keeping a clean set of e-scouting data is important. Mm-hmm. So I'll do a lot of work that I'll go back later and delete just because I'm, I'm building the system, right? And then once I kind of eliminate spots for whatever reason, I'll get rid of it. I don't want it hanging around if I'm not interested in it. 
So don't just keep it because you can. Mm -hmm. So don't be afraid to get rid of stuff. So I'll, I'll do these areas a lot of times without doing a whole lot else. And then I'll start doing these flyover tours and start really studying how it works together. And I'll start looking at accesses and zones of pressure. So for a limited entry tag, zones of pressure isn't a big deal. Yep, it's a lot more limited, for sure. But you're going to Colorado, pressure is a big part of what I would yeah. start with. Like I do radiuses. I draw radiuses around all of the access points, two-mile, three-mile radiuses. And I want to see where those circles overlap and all the places where they don't reach if I'm hunting a state like Colorado. Mm -hmm. Now, if I, if I drew a Unit 27 Arizona rifle tag with three other dudes, I wouldn't worry about the pressure zones as much. I'd be more interested in other features. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But one of my 12 criteria is pressure, is evaluating pressure. And I evaluate pressure with buffer zones. I do one mile around every road. I do two to three miles around every trailhead. And I try to see what's left. Yeah. And not because I'm trying to get remote, not because there's not elk in the, in, that doesn't mean there's not elk inside the circles here, guys. Or it, but what I'm trying to do is eliminate country. Yeah. Basically, I'm not, I'm not trying to look, sometimes, Brian Barney, I can't even claim this tip because it's really Brian Barney's tip, but I've adopted it because it's so true. Sometimes when it comes to e-scouting and breaking down the area like yours, I'm not looking for where I think the elk are. I'm trying to eliminate the areas where I think they're not. First, yeah, and that's where those areas kind of come as I'm living. And what, ha <clears throat> what happens with these areas, guys, when you start dropping them here, you start dropping things are going to start to make sense. You'll be like, Well, over here in this side of the unit, I got nine areas, but over here, I got nothing. Something's drawing me over here, right? So it, it tends to, once you start getting your markups on the screen, you tend to start navigating over there, kind of quickly it mm -hmm. starts kind of coming together quickly yep. and so i would start out by slope orientation and um slope pitch kind of right off the bat yep. just to get an idea um and then you kind of work into the road and then trails i kind of work from there yep. and then i'm looking for the edge you mm -hmm. know i'm looking for the edge habitat and I'm looking for the fires in the areas. I'm looking, I mean, obviously I'm getting all those things kind of future. Yep. So I'm stacking up the fire layers. I'm stacking up the, um, the slopes and all those kind of things, kind of narrowing it down. And then, and then when it comes to pressure too, I start analyzing all the drainages. Are there trails in the bottom or they're not? Yeah. Now, you know, most drainages, most major drainages have a trail in the bottom, right? I mean, they all do. But every once in a while, you'll find some side drains, some feeder with no trail in them. Now, there might be a trail there, but there's just not one on the map. Mm -hmm. Those are some of my favorite places to hunt elk. And, and you don't have to get all that far sometimes off these trails. Mm. But especially if you've got a big old giant drainage and there's a trail in the bottom going up, my hunt plan will never incorporate kind of along that trail. I will look somewhere off that trail, some feeder drainage, at the head, somewhere up in the head. If I could put distance, sometimes distance solves the problem. But guys, those big long, those are outfitter magnets. Yeah. Those big long drains with those big trails in the bottom, you got to be careful about what zone you're going to be in. Once you get past that 10 mile zone, you're going to be an outfitter country, right? So I like to be in that five to eight mile zone. That's my sweet spot with llamas because it's kind of far for backpackers, but too short for outfitters. Mm -hmm. So I'd look at stuff like that. Um, but 
again, with a limited entry tag and with open country, the next thing I'm going to do is I'm going to be view shed analysis and the heck out of yeah, this Yeah, if you're spot. trying to find your glass and points. I need the top 10 places where I'm going to set. And glass. And then I need a route plan. I need to plan routes to all of them. I need to know not only how far it is, but what's the elevation gain, and then I run the Naismith principle on them all, meaning I'm going to run a calculation on how long it's going to take me to hike to each one of those glassing spots. And that's all in my hunt plan, all in the notes. So when I show up, I know how long it's going to take me to get to every single glassing spot. Because I know that sounds like a lot of work, right? But when you're in the field and your notes and you got your hunt plan, that all late, man. You're dialed. You don't even got to think about anything. It's going to take me four hours to get there. I got to get up at 2.30. Mm-hmm. There's, there's no sense getting to that glassing spot 45 minutes after daylight and leaving an hour before dark. Do you, do you want to quickly explain the Naismith principle so people can understand? Okay, so the Naismith it's in your, in your principle, course, yeah. You know, it's, it's been used for a long time, but um, I'm going to try to recall it here in my mind. So the Naismith principle calculates how much an average person, and, you know, again, it, it depends on your fitness and your capabilities, and you can adjust it to your needs, but basically... What you the speed that you can travel on trail versus off trail. So let's say on trail, a person typically is two miles an hour for a on trail. You can do more than that if it's super flat, but let's just say two miles an hour and then off trail is like one mile an hour. Most people think they yeah. can go faster than that, right? But they can't. <laughs> is that and including then, like heavy backpack? That's with a not a 80 pound, that's with like a 20 to yeah, like a backpacker's backpack. Yes. With load, yeah, not, that's not without load. So let's just say two miles an hour is the average, and one mile, two miles on trail, one mile off trail. Sorry, and then it's thirty minutes additional for every one thousand foot of change in elevation, up or down. Hmm. Total elevation change, not just up, because most people they think they can go faster downhill, but actually sometimes the downhill is worse than the uphill. Because yeah. you got long legs it's like me. Deeper country. Yep. So that's the principle. The principle is. Let's just say it's five. Let's, it's five miles. No, let's say it's four miles, just for my and my math skills. <laughs> so it's four miles, and it's two thousand feet elevation. In my glassing spots, two miles away, and it's and it's uh, a, a two thousand feet elevation. That's a pretty significant pull, right? Mm-hmm. So two miles, uh, four miles is going to be two hours just to hike, and then thirty minutes per thousand. That's another hour. So I'm looking at three to three and a half hours on trail to get to that glassing spot. That's, Rough estimates. Yeah, that's big. Four miles. Yeah, and it's not that far, but with sure, that kind of increase, yeah, elevation, you, know that time. you gotta add another hour onto your hiking speed because of the elevation yeah, change. Yeah. And, and you're putting that into your hunt plan then. I'm all like, of it. You're, you're getting down to that detail. Yeah, and so it's in the like, template. So in my, in my course it's coming out, I think the second or third chapter is hunt plan. And my actual template is in there. I put it in there. You can download the Word document. Um, it's got all of it in there. And you can, um, it's a Word, so you can change it to fit your needs. I'm just giving you something to start with. Yeah. Like just, because you know, sometimes it's just hard to just get started. Mm-hmm. And I got, so on a typical seven-day hunt, or a little, that's not true, on a typical 10-day hunt, I will plan five days. Guys, there's no sense to plan 10 days. You're not going to use all that data. Yeah. You're, there's no be way you're going to move through it, right? <laughs> yeah. And you're going to get off base. You're going to figure stuff out when you get there. Yeah. But I always, I feel like the sweet spot is about half the days of your hunt 
if you have planned out to the nth degree, meaning morning, midday, night, what you're going to kind of do when you get out there, you always have options. It, you always have options. If I have found that if I just throw random waypoints on my whatever, I get out there and I start getting tired and I get, I kind of lose, I kind of forget my strategy. Yeah. I can't tell you how many times I've been laying in my tent and I'm, I'm talking printed hunt plan. Now I will admit I'm starting to take the PDF more and more on my phone, mm -hmm. but I used to carry the printed all the time. <clears throat> but I pull that printed out. I'm laying in my tent. I'm looking at it. I'm like, oh man, I kind of forgot about that glassing spot. Man, that looks over that edge. I, dang it, I'm, I'm going there tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Versus, how many times have you been in your tent at night? Every night. Oh, shit. What are we going to do? <laughs> what are we going to do? do tomorrow? Yeah. I mean, kind of like all the waypoints are, we've been to all these. Yeah. You know, we got to figure out what, what are we going to do? Yep. Has it happened to you? All the time. And, that's, and it's never going to stop it. But for guys that are not in the game, like, guys, we've been doing this for a long time, right? When we go out on a 10-day hunt, if we haven't seen an O for seven days, we're staying. But I get message after message after message from guys. They quit early, go home early because they get frustrated. They get When you got that hunt plan and you can pull it out and figure out a couple of nuggets that you kind of didn't think about, You've got new energy. You're ready to, okay, all right, I got, when you have a mission for the next day, your mindset is way better than when you're like, I have no idea what the freak I'm going to do. Oh, I definitely relate to what you're saying. Like there's a certain anxiety when you don't understand or you can't, you can't make a decision on what to do the next day. And you lay there in your tent, your sleeping bag, your bivy, you're just like, what am I going to do tomorrow? What am I going to do tomorrow? You know, and you just stew about it. You lose sleep, stress about it. Mm -hmm. the, big, the biggest thing so, about this hunt plan so I relate. is the historical knowledge. I talk about historical knowledge all the time, but it's like studying for a test. When you write out this hunt plan, man, you are concreting it. You don't even realize how well you're going to know your areas if you take the time to do this. Mm -hmm. And when you get out there, you may not even have to ever even look at it, which is ideal. Yeah. The ideal setup is you roll in there, you just have reduced it all into this knowledge bank, and you get there and you're in elk every day. Yep. But if, it, but if the wheels come off, You've got this backup. Yep. And I find that the process of preparing the hunt plan is more important than using the hunt plan on the hunt. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just the organization, the camp options, yeah, the, work. the glassing spots, mm -hmm. figuring out the routes, how long it's going to take to get there, all these. And then I also, like between hunt areas, so like on a seven-day hunt, I'll have five hunt areas minimum on a 10-day hunt. I'll never get to all five, but I know that when I, if I can't find elk in number one, I'm ready to go to two because it's already worked out. I've already got the date. I've got the plan. I've already downloaded my offline maps. How many times have guys stayed in the area because they don't even have a backup option? Yeah. yeah. They're not seeing shit, mm -hmm. but they just stay and they stay Yeah, because they don't want to make a move. Yeah. So when well, I don't move feel comfortable from, or have confidence to make the move. If you well, had those backup plans, you would have a little bit of confidence. They don't know how long it's going to take them to drive. They don't know how much, what time they have to leave to get there before dark. They don't know all these things, right? So one of the things I do is when I organize my hunt plans from one, two, three, four, five, I calculate the driving distance between each one, and it's in my plan. 
So when I'm sitting there and number one's not working, I'm like, I'm 4.5 hours away from number two. Guys, if we leave at 10, we'll be hunting by tonight. Right. Mm-hmm. That's big. Instead of sitting on the side of the road, like, well, I don't know how far it is. It might be 80 miles. Maybe we can be there. But, you know? Yeah, lose it in so the morning. You don't want to miss an evening. You don't want to miss a morning. Unless you have to. I mean, we. Sure. I do. You got to make sacrifices. But I hope people are picking up on this. I know this seems so elementary. But all these little elementary pieces really add up to bumping your odds of success. Yep. Mm-hmm. Guys, the, the average hunter in Montana, Brian said it at the summit, do, do yourself public land archery elk hunter in Montana is now about 6%. If you want to kill an elk one out of 20 years, then keep acting like an average elk hunter. If you, if you want to do a little better than that, then start thinking about some of these incorporating. Not all, maybe you can't do it all, but anything you do is going to move the needle. Yep. Because a lot of guys just aren't taking the time to, do, to go to this level of work. Yeah, we're supposed to talk about time. So as when I was giving the seminar at the summit, I was talking about like how many people are just sitting there every single night you're wasting all that time watching stupid Netflix, Amazon Prime videos. Watching cuties on Netflix or something, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, what is that? That's what Cody does. What, where, where are you trying to set your, uh, you know, so you're not setting yourself up for success. But like, how much time do people actually spend e-scouting? Like, every single night you can be doing a little bit something. You can be on your phone, your computer, instead of watching a stupid movie that does nothing for your education, yeah. for your hunting career. Yes, mm. you have that balance in life and all that stuff. I get that. Yeah. But the guys who want to be dedicated, who want to kill, who want to kill big shit, like you're gonna to have to put in the extra effort, and it starts with e scouting. Like how much, how much time do you think you put in? Let's say maybe a week or a, a week on e scouting. I get I get asked this all. Oh, in, a, in an oh, average week. Average week or let's go a month, whatever you want to do. Like how many hours do you think you're spending for one tag? I'm doing right now, 10, 15 hours a week. Yeah, and that's not that's I'm not, not hard. I mean, mm-hmm. literally that much time. Um. Well, I was one of your, um, I, I don't Omar. know his name. What's his name? Omar. Oh, Omar. We were doing a little East County right there. Goggins yeah. Jr. We popped the laptop up. I had Google Earth open. I'd go in home. We had, we're alternating screens. I'm like, this, this, this. And I wouldn't classify as East County, but we were dropping some pins. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, I spend as much or more time East County than I do on the hunt itself. And most people are blown away by that. Why wouldn't you? You get 10 days, guys. A lot of guys are not blessed like me. I mean, I realize how lucky I am to do do what I do. I didn't always have this. I had 14 days. I had whatever I had. I had to make it work, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, there's no way I'm not going in. I want those days to be absolutely maximized. Yep. And, um, and, 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 and here's the thing. A lot of guys are intimidated by the technology. Mm-hmm. And I get that a lot. I get that a lot. Guys, I'm just not good at computers. You don't have to be good. It's a browser. Yeah. Everything works on the browser now except for Google Earth, it's standalone, right? And it's like an archaic application. Learn it. Learn it. Be a man. I mean, be a man. <laughs> or a woman. Jesus. Get in there. Do some practice. Try some things. Educate yourself. Watch some YouTube. Watch. Guys, there's a million podcasts. There's a million YouTube. There's courses if you want to spend a little bit of money. You're spending $1,000 on that freaking elk tag. And you're I mean, not that's just the up. cash. That's not the, the time and the, the... Oh, my gosh. I mean, and you're not going to buy the $99 yearly membership to OC for eight courses that could help you up your game in exactly. a couple different things? Which, by the way, you use promo code TREELINE. Yeah, you get 20% yeah, off. I was going to say, don't you be throwing out that go-on code. No, we're <laughs> using, we're using <laughs> promo yeah, code TREELINE here. This is your hard work. I was getting ready to put my foot down on that. No, no we'll, and, we'll and, make sure we get it at the end. And here's the, here's the biggest thing, too. People who buy OC right now in the month of July 
will get Explorer Go Hunt Maps for free. Oh, really? Yeah, there you go. Okay. So use promo code TREELINE. Guys, get your course. There's on OC. no industry. There's no hobby. There's nothing that I know of. I'm sorry, I'm getting away. That you don't have to invest a little time and money into becoming good at it. If you're a photographer and you want to be good at photography, like next level, you're going to take some courses. You're going to do some tutorials. You're going to you're going to pay for some educational materials. You're going to buy applications, right? You're going to buy Lightroom. You're going to buy Bridge. You're going to buy Adobe Photoshop. You know, whatever, right? Why do you? I mean, I'm getting ready to go back in that go hunt store and probably get divorced, you know. <laughs> and but we don't spend any money on improving our. And I'm not trying to, guys. I don't care if you buy these guys. I don't care about any of that, but. Elk Collective, Elk 101, whatever it is, if you need the knowledge, it's available, and you just got to be willing to go get it. Yeah. And these are needle-moving things. Yep. There is no education that I know of that I've seen out there that you're going to buy at a reasonable rate that's not going to move the needle a little. Yeah. Now, maybe some, like mine, will move it more than others, but... <laughs> <laughs> I mean... Just kidding. I just, it's the skill set beforehand which is which is arguably the most important part right it's like i mean if you're not if you're not investing in your skill set and hunting is one of those things too it's like you know we all we all get depressed come winter <laughs> spring early summer there's you can't do it right there's there's no other hobby out there that just completely shuts off you can't even get good at it you can't work on it you can't do anything i mean you can shoot your bow you can do all that stuff but as far as like skill set in hunting finding where our animals are actually being out there on the ground finding them going through hunt plans all that stuff you have three months a year to do that right and really you only have september to like truly execute on elk hunting and in, in the rut with a bow it's like your your time slot is so small to work on it why the fuck would you not invest in the education of it before it gets here to then be that much further th that next season it gets here and then do it again the next season do it again the next season before you know it what you could have you know what would have taken you 15 years you now have done in three years now you're successful you're one of the 10 percent that actually harvest elk every single year well and like i didn't even bat an eye guys in 1990 when it came when google came out at 399 i didn't even think about it yep didn't even cross my mind to think there's nothing you can buy for the price, <laughs> for the three ninety nine that we pay for Google Earth, you can buy almost every Western hunt planning tool yeah. that's available for three ninety nine. Yeah. yeah, I mean you really you could. You, I you mean really I'm could. thinking about the pricing, right? Like yeah. my uh, Elk Collective, Elk One Hundred One, Outdoor Collective. You can almost get them all for three ninety nine. Yep. Especially if you use a few codes here and there. Yep. And uh, so people that are resistant to that. You can't, you, guys. You can, you can't lead. You can lead a horse with water. You can't make him drink. Yeah. So I want to jump on one thing. So when I was at the summit, you, you made a really good analogy, and I want to make sure I wanted you to explain it again. So it's basically like you're trying to expand your hunting toolkit. You're trying to refine in all these different areas. You could be the best shot in the world. You could be the best at maybe researching to get a tag, or you know, you could be the best at east scouting. But when you combine all of those things together and like be proficient at all of them, like your toolkit's just getting that much bigger and sharper. All the time. So you had an analogy of like your Iron Man back in the day. Yeah. How you? Would you say you were really good at biking? Yeah. And then like explain that whole thing because I think like really resonated I'm glad with you me. Said that I, I you know I, I really said that much. Probably the first time I really brought that out was at the summit. So mm -hmm. guys, as hunters, and this is I used to do trap. We were talking about this. So I know it's hard to imagine. I don't think so. You look like you're in good shape. I, I, for 57. Uh, I, holy shit! Be, I think yeah, you look we'll, like you're in good shape. We'll pa I'll pass a couple pictures around while we're sitting here. You guys can. <laughs> 
Look, my old days. Yeah, you were you you were an an <laughs> accolade so, winning Iron Manner, right? And I wasn't winning anything, but I was um, I was pretty close to winning a few. Well, you've made Kona quite so, a few uh, times. Those yeah, are I my mean, triathlon days. That's a, that, well, you <laughs> you obviously lifted weights though too. You're Look cut. at I that didn't. bullshit. No weights. That's from football. That just came with yeah, me Yeah, you, you had football. the background yeah. of it. So it you did lift weights. You weren't just a runner your whole life. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But anyway, so I, I make this, I made this Ironman. So Ironman is two and a half mile swim, 112 mile bike, 26 mile run. You know, right? Long day. Mm-hmm. And the fastest guys, well, to be like in the, let's say at the 6% of the Montana boat killers, if you break 10 hours in the Ironman, you're kind of a badass. Mm-hmm. If you can do all that in less than 10 hours, you're kind of a, you know, you know you've been looking at it. Accolades. You're kind of a yeah. stud. Let's yeah. just be honest. Well, my first couple Ironmans were 11, 12 hours, 11 and a half. I just couldn't get any better. I did like four or five of them, and I was all in that range all the time. And my coach says, live a say. You're a dang near professional level cyclist, and all you do is ride your bike. You're a pitiful runner, because I'm 170. I'm a big, I'm a big yes, triathlete, yeah. right? You're a pit- your marathon time is 3:30, 3:45. It's pathetic. That's pretty fast, but it's not good enough to get yeah. sub 10. And you got to stop training your strengths and start training your weaknesses. Like I wasn't a great swimmer; I was average. My wife was a great swimmer, kicked my ass all the time, all the time. And then the running, I would just get destroyed. But I would be like top five off the bike. Hmm. I always used to say, I see, in the Ironman, I saw everybody three times. <laughs> they blow by me in the swim, <laughs> I blow by them on the bike, and then they blow by me on the run. Yeah. We're friends by the finish line. <laughs> yeah. And, um, but I, so I used to, I was averaging maybe 300 miles a week on my bike. And I took it to 100. Drastic cut. And I started running 60, 70, 80 miles a week. All of a sudden, shit, I'm running. I went to the, I went to the Chicago Marathon and ran a three-hour marathon. And I'm like, at 170, mm-hmm. I'm like, I have arrived. Yeah. So I'm with my buddy at this marathon and we're running and we're at mile 18 and he's like, what are you doing here still? And I'm like, I'm feeling pretty dang good. We're clicking off 630 miles. Everything is good. And I'm like, but I had to give up a little of my strength to get that wing. And then I go to Brazil for my honeymoon, my wife. So my wife, my wife convinced me to marry her. Um, (laughs) And I said, well, honey, the deal is I'm only going to get married if we go to Brazil and do the Ironman. Okay. I mean, that wasn't a hard sell, right? (laughs) So she wasn't going to do the Ironman. And I was training for a couple months, and then all of a sudden she's like, you know, I think I'm going to do it with you. And I'll just quit if I get tired. You know, I just want to do it with you. I'm like, okay. So we started training together. But I adopted this philosophy. And I go there, and I do a 930. Hmm. And I go to the world championship. I qualified for the Ironman World Championships. So did my wife. Her first Ironman. Her very <laughs> first Ironman. She gets a slot to Kona. So we go to Kona that year. We're one of the only husband-wife couples to qualify and go to Kona in the same race. That's cool. 
But my point was, I never could break. Think about that. I was 11 and a half hour Ironman. Took it to nine and a half. That's a lot. At two hours a lot, guys. At that, when you're at that level, that's a lot of time. Mm-hmm. And I actually biked slower than mm-hmm. I did previously. But when I got off the bike, I ran a way better marathon. And I actually outswim. I got scared, actually. They racked us by last name. I've never been in a race that racks by last name. And I came out of the swim, and I get to my bike, and my, Amy's, my wife's bike's still there. I'm like, what? I beat her out of the swim. Hmm. First, I was nervous. I thought something may have happened. Then I'm like, hell yeah. <laughs> you know? Finally got one on her. So, you know, I swam like a 104, 103, hour three for two. And well, my previous times were like 120, 130. So the point is, I know that was a long story, but it's important because if you're a great shot, what do you do? If you're a great archery guy, so you, they shoot, 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 All shoot. they do is shoot. They don't shoot, work on anything shoot, else. Shoot. They go to the range you're every morning. You're already a killer, <laughs> but your East Scouting game is terrible. Your fitness game is terrible. That's me. I think you're terrible. talking to me. Uh, <laughs> that I might know, have been trail. Don't worry. This guy's super, all they do is run, run, put the packs on, get in shape. Can't find. They're hiking all their ass all over the mountain, but can't they have no them. idea where the elk are. And then when the elk shows up, they can't kill it because they can't shoot. So... You've got to balance your game out and work your weaknesses. If you're uh, not good at technology and you're not good at computers and you're not good at it, that's exactly why you need to be doing it. Mm-hmm. Don't shy away from it. Dig in. Yep. And learn how to, if you're using Go Hunt, learn how to use it, not just turn it on. Mm-hmm. You know, learn all the little things we talk about, all these isolating these bands and yeah. learn all these view shed, flyover tours, Root profiles, Naismith principles, all these things. Learn these little, they're not that complicated, but they're game changers. I'm always yeah. shocked at how much feedback we get through customer service on not understanding what Go Hunt truly does, like the full sense of it. So then that's why I, I always just say we suck at marketing. We must just be terrible at marketing, or, you know, it's. It's one of those things where it's so powerful you can't really market that, right? You would need a you would need a complete like uh, convention hall in four hours to tell somebody truly what it does. The, the individual has to like really learn how to use it, like you're saying. And that goes for a lot of gear in hunting. That's not just finding out go hunting. I mean, that goes for learning how to use your backpack correctly. That's right. Well, how many people do we see with just shit run backpacks? And it's like, man, do you realize how inefficient you are right now? You gotta run a tight like, ship. And yeah. what that adds up to over time when you're running just a shit bag of a backpack. All yeah. that weird weight moving yeah. around. Like. It's like what that, how, how much that's taking away from you over time and being proficient in all the things that you're using and not just being, oh, that looks cool. Yeah. I'm going to use it. But that, that's what resonated me so much at the summit. I don't know if a lot of people like really grasp that. I know you got to think about it for a minute. It's like, think about all the functions of hunting. Okay. Let's, here's a good, let's just do it this way. Let's break hunting down. Each person that's listening to this needs to break down their hunting skill set into 10 items. Figure out 10, right? Fitness, art shooting, gear, e-scouting, um, whatever. Nav- navigation. Navigate, Plans. Night, you know, be able to navigate with a freaking direction. Whatever. Come up with things. Rank them in the order that you think you're proficient at them. Do it yourself. And then circle the bottom three. And that's what you need to do. Yep. Forget the other stuff. Leave the, Don't shoot every night. One of the nights that you shoot, put the bow down, spin it on your computer. You can't kill elk if you can't find elk. 
And same with any, any, any hunting pursuits, right? You can't do anything unless you can find them. Mm-hmm. So, and even, even guys that, you know, I, this has been with the, one of the most shocking things to me in my course. I thought when I built my course, it'd be beginner, 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 beginners. I get almost no beginners because they can't even wrap their mind around that they need it. Yeah, yeah. What I'm getting is super experienced guys that want to up their game one more notch. Like I got a great testimony from a guy who says, man, I thought I was an e-scouting genius. And I went ahead and did your course. And he goes, dude, this, this, and this was game changing. He goes, I knew a lot of it, but that 20% that I didn't changed so many things the way I did. You don't have to benefit from the 100%. Yeah. Um, like, like trail, we just educated him on binoculars this morning. Oh, I'm, this, this entire, I don't know how long we're in, probably two hours at this point, I'd bet, but I, right at two hours, but the entire time I'm thinking, yeah, I, I mean, Mark showed up and just convinced me of a lot of things. Yeah, today. a lot of things. I don't know about it's that. 80, yeah, it's the 80, 20 rule. But yeah. If you get, you live. You get 20% value, 80% what you already know. You're at a huge step forward. That's a good way of putting it. It's a good way of putting it. Huge step forward. Just a few little things. Um, Like for you, like one of the things, we kind of glassed over it, but for you guys that rely on killing animals that you see, meaning glassing, for guys Mm -hmm. that are are really, that's a big part of their game. We had the big binocular discussion, right? Great. It does you no good if you can't get spots that are good glassing spots. Yep, exactly. So becoming an art. Now, Brady, that's his game. Mm-hmm. He can look at a map and he knows right where to go. But an average person look at a map and like, oh, I don't know. Learning how to use this flyover tours, learning how to use the view shed analysis, learning, learning um, these things will change the game when it comes to glassing. Mm-hmm. And um, these, I know those sound like foreign words, and we, can't, we don't have time to get into it, but I'm throwing them out there because I want people to hear the words and then go investigate. Yeah. Sometimes you just got to, you know, Google's powerful, right? Yeah. You, sometimes you just got to hear the word. You're like, oh, it's like a dog on a trail. And once he gets the scent, they can kind of figure it out. So anyway, it's good. I, I'm really excited. So I tell people I tell people a story all the time. I didn't learn shit in school, like nothing. Because when I first got out and got into the business world, when I was sitting in meetings, I used to sit there with just a notepad. And when people would say stuff, I'd just write it down. I'm like, no clue what that is. No clue what that is. I'm like, I went to school for four years. I have a great education. I don't know anything what people are talking about. But I just sit there and write words down, write sentences down, write things down. And then I'd go back and Google it. And I'd put a definition next to each of them. And in the first two weeks of work, I was 10x smarter than I was in school. It was crazy. Well, stay, now we got one more tool. School, we got Chad yeah, stay, stay in school, man. It obviously does something. <laughs> well, now we got Chad GPT. Yeah. I don't even know if I like, I don't even know what to think about this, yeah, but yeah. it could put me out of a job. It is so potent for this kind of stuff for, um, now it's kind of basic in hunting. It doesn't have a lot of hunting resources, so it'll guys, get there. but it'll get you there. It'll get you in the right direction with keywords. Mm-hmm. So, um, anyway, it's been good. I'm glad you guys had me on and, I always love coming here and yeah, we appreciate it. That was yeah. good. It was an education. No, we, yeah, we love having you. And I love honest people like listening to honest, honest people. That's when you get the most feedback. That's why I, yeah. I mean, I could sit and listen to live and save for hours. Can we touch on you your, actually I'm, say, I'm a good bull. I'm a good bullshitter. Well, you, know? you actually, you actually, you know, when people try to brush over things, you, you, you can only do what people tell you or what you hear, what's wrong, what's this, what's that. Brady and I've talked about this. So the honesty I, is where I hate is these YouTube videos that kind of like, one minute on how to e-scout elk. 
You can't do it in one minute, bud. Turn on your computer and <laughs> buy this. I'm like, I need to, I want in the weeds. I mean, sometimes I feel like I'm probably, I get too far down the rabbit hole on some of this stuff, but I'm a detail. I want that level of detail. And I think those are the things that move the needle. Some of these platitudes and summaries, um, it's good if you're basic, 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 but there's a lot of that out there, guys. There's a lot of that. A lot of the articles that have been written are real summarized. Brady probably cringes when I send in my articles because I try to get in the weeds on a few things, right? Like, yeah. and sometimes people don't understand what you're saying, you know. But, um, but sometimes it's like Lorenzo said, you just Go gotta, to you Write just gotta down. introduce them to a concept, yeah. and then yep. it's like a dog with a bone, and then they can kind of work it out. Yeah. So yeah. I want, I want to quickly touch on your outdoor class course. Okay. Um, tell me about that. Like, what are people going to learn from it? What are they going to gain? Well, um, so once me and Bailey stopped fighting. Um, <laughs> Who's and, winning the fight right now? Well, he won the fight because he was right and I was wrong. Oh, I'm saying it publicly. Holy shit. But anyway, I enjoyed Harrison, all the guys that I got to work with there. It was such an experience. So I went there, kind of back up for a week filmed for a week every day with these guys and when they first said a week i'm like a week what are we gonna do for an hour course right i'm like what can we possibly do but man the level of detail that they do it made me feel like my course is shit <laughs> i'm like i learned so much in the process i just want to say that but anyway film the course it's next level e-scouting to the name of it um, now I don't know that the name is good, but what it is, it's, uh, I think it's 14 modules and it kind of does what you were talking about. It kind of goes through my initial, a lot of my initial, it's got a lot on hunt planning, mm -hmm. the template, how to use it. It's got a section on custom markups, how I use, we didn't get into that, but how we use custom markups. And I actually feel really bad that I didn't put in Brady's tip. He said something I, I didn't do. So he puts all of his kills in black. Where he uses black, the color black for kills. Easy to see. And man, I'm like, oh, I should have been doing that. So even though I think I know everything, right, guys? I picked up that tip. So I, I use yellow for in the field waypoints. I use different colors for priority. Yep. I use different icons. But anyway, I have a structure, and I teach that in the class. I think that's really – and I don't teach that anywhere else. That's not even in my e-scouting course. Um, I kind of didn't really put it in there. So I was really – I think that's a really good module. And there's a glassing module in there. Remember, we were talking about the view shed. We talked, it's all in there. And the Naismith, the root calculation stuff, is in there. Um, what else is in there? The flyover tour, how to do the flyover tours, is all in there. So, really, so it's not really everything, but it's 14 very targeted e-scouting techniques. Is it species-based or is it overall? You could use it it's for kind of overall, and I kind of wanted to do it that way. So it's really not, it's just how to find the best glassing spots, no mm -hmm. matter what you're doing. How to do your hunt plans, no matter what you're what doing, you doing, right? So yeah, it is pretty, I don't want to say it's general because it's definitely not general, but it's, it isn't the 12 it's finding criteria, yeah. right? Yep. But it's the usable information it, no matter I what am. you're doing. Like we just said, if you're a guy that like feels like you're not maximizing all your tools in your toolbox, then I think this is for you. Cool. Now, I think it's for everybody, but I think for a guy that feels like, man, I want to kind of up my skill set a little. I feel like I'm pretty good, but I, I heard that flyover tour. 
I heard that view shed. I heard that hunt plan template. I heard that custom markup. I kind of want to dig a little more into that. That that's I think that's I think it'll serve you well if those are your thoughts. Cool. Hit us with the promo one more time, Brady. Yeah, so if you use promo code TREELINE when you're signing up for Outdoor Class, you get Don't 20. use that Outdoor Class promo code. TREELINE. 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 Tree line. You get 20% <laughs> off. And yeah. anyone who signs up right now in the month of July, they're going to get uh, Go Hunt Explorer, which is our Go Hunt Maps, web and mobile, for free. Well, now that we showed them how to isolate the high spots, everybody's going to be one of you. That's it. Guys, whatever you think of tools, there nothing matches that. That is that is absolutely hands down such a dynamic, useful tool that if you only buy it for that, it's worth the what is it a year? Forty nine bucks. Forty nine dollars. My gosh, you can't even go eat for that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as you're thinking your way through it, you get OC class, you get a Go Hunt Maps membership. Yeah, <laughs> you get points back in the gear shop. <laughs> we've always said i mean we say it jokingly on the podcast all the time i always get brady shit for it because he tries to keep secrets but we're here for the people it's always that's what we've done since day one it's like listen man we want you hunting more like yeah we're uh, we're not a, a a non-profit we're not a uh what's the word i always used to say charity? Charity. We're, not charity. <laughs> we're not giving away shit well like we have to survive and make money but like we also we want you hunting more so than giving us the most amount of money. You know well, what I, mean? what I like about going, I'm just going to say, what I like about my partnership with you guys is that the, the target and the focus on loyalty. Like, you guys are have all these things where you give away this and this and this, but the hope is, right, is that when they come in, I don't know if I'm wrong or not on this, but when they come into the Go Hunt family or the Go Hunt structure, that they're going to, this is going to be a repeat. This is going to be something they're going to keep doing. Yeah. And you guys are investing in that. Like you give yeah. away a lot of things, you do a lot of really deep things to get people into the into the process so that you can show them what is capable. Yeah. Just like when it's insider season. If you're not using insider, you're I mean, you're an idiot. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm just gonna say there's it. a promo cut. <laughs> I've been using it for way, way before yeah. we even started I mean, working. I think together. I was year one, I had to be one of the first so that was our first subscribers. I think you were. Didn't we look at that when we were talking? In <laughs> I don't know, Salt but I, I've been using it for a long, long, long time. And uh, it just cuts the edge off of all that stuff with the tag mm -hmm. stuff. But so I like the fact that you guys are investing in the future as much as you're investing at the moment. So yeah. I do appreciate that in a company because that's what I try to do in my event businesses, too. Yeah. And you're not and, wrong. Uh, our, our customer retention is like gold level standard. So you're, you're exactly right. Well, I, I like that. Same with my courses, guys. If my e-scouting out course didn't deliver then why would they do the meals course why would they do anything else exactly. i do why would they buy my toolkits yeah. they would not be interested in anything if i didn't deliver on what i said i'd deliver on and um and you know maybe some people it's too much but that's okay too you know um depends on what you want to get out of it you know mm -hmm. it's just like everything in life mm -hmm. put in put in what you get out we appreciate you coming. Yeah, and, for sure. You know, clothing thoughts for us, Trail? Uh, I was just going to say, it's. Uh, I think we were talking about it before we started, <laughs> but one of the things I hate most is hearing my own voice, so I very rarely go back and listen to any podcast <laughs> that I've been on or, or, or a part of. But I will say, uh, just thinking back over the last two hours, there were so many 
just little nuggets and hidden gems and, and things that I necessarily don't always think about that I would like to revisit. So I think I'm going to, uh, this is actually one of the podcasts I'm going to actually <laughs> go, go back, back and, listen, and, to and listen to myself, even though go. I was on the damn thing. So <laughs> I, I appreciate you coming and, and that was awesome. Well, thanks. Sometimes we go fast. I guess they yeah. roll right on. So right. much to talk about. That's good. So it might be worth a re-listen. Okay. Um, thanks, Mark. So thank you guys. Thank you.